0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Podfix by KB Stories. Hi, it's been a while. My name is Jess. Um, happy holidays, first and foremost. And um, yeah, since Christmas just passed, I thought I'd read you a story I originally life wrote on Twitter during Christmas 2021. It's called Renegades. And despite it very much being a holiday fic, it's quite a lot angstier than the ones I've recorded. So fair warning for that. Something that is the same as the other ones is that this is a My Hero Academia story um, for the Kiribaku ship. And it has a little bit of Tododeku in it, although it's mostly mentioned. So what we're looking at is an M rating. That's M for mature, uh, mostly because there's a lot of violence in this one. Um, yeah, the major uh, relationships tagged is, of course, Kiribaku, so Baku Katsuki and Kirishima Ejiro. Um, Baku Okatsuki and Midoriya Izuku as a friendship, Kirishima Ijiro and Midoriya Izuku as a friendship, Um, the Baku squad, and then Torodeku as I already mentioned. Um, And those are also the main characters featured. The other tags are um, Alternate Universe, Pro Heroes, Alternate Universe, Different First Meeting, Um, Pro Hero, Midoriya Izuku, Pro Hero, Baku Okatsuki, Vigilante, Kirishima Ijiro, that's where the Alternate Universe comes in, Secret relationship, protective Pakugo Katsuki, hurt Kirishima Ejiro. I'm sorry, my son. Um, Angst and hurt comfort, blood and injury, angst with a happy ending. We got some married Tododeku, um, POV Deku. So um, we're going to be looking into his head for the story. Um... It's tagged Christmas, (laughs) and then right afterwards, there's an apology for my Christmas fic being very angsty this year. So the 2021 Kiribakus were going through it that year. Um, We have Baku Okatsuki needs a hug, which is one of my favorite tags. Baku Okatsuki and Midoriya Izuku friendship. Found family. Married Baku Okatsuki and Kirishima Ejiro. First kiss. Developing relationship. Kirishima Ejiro needs a hug. Near death experiences. Happy ending with three exclamation points. And then some Kirishima POV for epilogue one and a Kaminari POV for epilogue two. Um, yeah, so this uh, story is in my Across Worlds and Lives uh, series, so that's all my AUs. And it's 18,500 words long, so that explains the runtime of this episode, um, split into four chapters. Without further ado, let's just jump into the story. This is Renegades by KB Stories, and the summary reads as follows. Into the dark, that thick, deadly silence, Izuku simply states, I'm here. A rush of breath, relief. A brief glimpse of crimson eyes, Katsuki leaning out of the gap between two buildings to visually confirm it's him. Scarlet stains his arms up to his rolled up sleeves, hand to elbow. That one glance is all it takes. Izuku closes the distance, more and more red revealed upon his approach. Red boots, red gears around muscled shoulders, red spikes of hair, Blood, 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 running down rock-hewn cracks on skin. Red eyes squinting hazily at Izuku. Red Riot, Musotafu's most wanted vigilante. In which Christmas traditions and long-kept secrets collide, Amiduriya Izuku is there to pick up the pieces. Chapter 1. Pieces. Content warning for blood, injuries and first aid, discussions of possible character death. No actual character death, don't worry. In all the years that Izuku has known Katsuki, from the early days when they were Deku and Kachan, then UA students Midoriya and Bakugo, and now, finally, pro-heroes Deku and Dynamite, he has never missed out on Christmas Eve. It's strange, perhaps, for their families to celebrate Christmas Day too early, and together, no less. Izuku wasn't even born yet, when Midoriya Inko and Bakugo Mitsuki decided to make it a tradition between them. By the time he was old enough to understand it's a holiday usually reserved for couples, he didn't think much of it. Their families have always been close, and strange was the new normal when you work workless. It's fucking whatever, as the man in question would say. No matter how bad things had gotten between Izuku and Katsuki in the past, they always, always spent Christmas under the same roof, around the same delightfully over-decorated white plastic tree, fairy lights everywhere, and cheesy American pop songs blasting from a kitchen smelling of freshly baked cookies. Sure, Katsuki might have not taken off his headphones a single time, and Izuku might have been stuck nose deep in an All Might comic throughout, but the point still stands. That is, until Izuku arrives home with two armfuls of KFC Takeout and his newly-minted husband in tow. An overly punctual, stick-to-the-rules-or-I'll-kill-your-shitty-ass Katsuki isn't there, yet. Izuku, honey, come in, his mother fusses with the food the moment the door opens, smiling brightly at his plus one. Shoto, good to see you. Thank you two for braving the crowds to pick this up. And taking time off at all, I know it's not easy for you heroes." The common is laden with more weight than a casual aside. Grown quite a bit since his time at UA, Izuku can effortlessly peek past Inko's shorter frame and into the living room beyond. Indeed, there is Mitsuki, there is Masaru. No Katsuki. The sight sends a jolt of discomfort through him. Izuku keeps the smile on his face regardless. Ah, it's no trouble, Mom, really. Suppressing the urge to check his phone as he kicks off his red sneakers in the genkan, and shoves them with his socked foot into a somewhat neat pair. His jacket is new, so he takes care to hang it up properly. Hey, Auntie, Uncle. Kachan is still at work, huh? A look between the bakugos, then. Fuck this, hisses Mitsuki and gets up from her perch on the edge of the couch, her phone against her ear a second later. Masaru sighs quietly, wringing his hands in his lap. We were hoping either of you would know more. He didn't mention a change of plans, now our calls aren't going through. Well, you know how Katsuki can be. Pricky like a human-sized cactus, and in blatant revolt against common-sense politeness, yes. Never irresponsible, nor purposefully mean and dismissive to his parents, though. At Izuku's side, Shoto's steady presence, no new incidents on the network or hero watch, sat under his breath, kept between the two of them. Their eyes meet. There's alarm in that gaze of gray and blue that mirrors the tightness in Izuku's chest. No new incidents. Yet. Across the room, Mitsuki pacing furiously, the shuffling of her slippers drowned out by increasingly shaky ranting. Katsuki, pick up already, brat. You got some nerve making your mother worry on— Auntie Mitsuki, let me try, yeah? Izuku waves with his own phone, voice chipper. Chances are he's stuck in traffic and needs someone to yell at. Be right back. A swift kiss to Shoto's cheek, a side hug to his mom who is looking frazzled with concern. A family speckled with the nation's top heroes will do that to a parent. And Izuku hops back into his sneakers and jacket to step outside just in case. Before he can tap the second number on his speed dial, his display flashes a full screen notification. Kachan is calling. Heart jumping into his throat, Izuku presses the green button to accept the call hard enough his screen threatens to crack. Kachan? You okay? Everyone's starting to worry. Shut up. Fuck, shut up, Izuku. I- If Izuku's heart was in his throat before, hearing Izuku in that tone sends it crashing all the way down, to shatter on the ground. Breathe. Where are you, and how bad is it? Bad. Fucking bad. He's bleeding all over and I can't- Shit. Shit. An attempt at a deep breath sounds through the line, rough, on the brink of outright panic. Izuku has no idea who he is, and he doesn't care. Keep him alive, dynamite. I'm coming. Hearing his hero name seems to snap Katsuki out of whatever mess has him this frantic. Track my phone, okay? Watch your back. Don't- No backup. No icy hot. No nothing. Don't fucking tell anyone anything, Deku. Promise me you won't- I promise. Izuku agrees without hesitation, voice untouched by the horrors his mind is painting. What the hell did you get yourself into, Kachan? There's no time to ask. Hurry, Katsuki rasps out. And the call ends. The menace's GPS tracker has locked onto Katsuki's location. Izuku understands two things. One, even if an incident happened there, no official report would ever show up. And two, somehow Japan's fifth most popular hero is currently where the heart of villainy beats strongest. Musutafu's criminal underbelly is a known thing, all its visible edges and conventions thoroughly mapped by law enforcement. It's behind popular shops around town, treasured niche restaurants, the livelihood of everyday people you wouldn't look twice at walking down the street. Organized crime is possibly the toughest nut to crack, and so complex, no individual hero or even a coordinated raid would make a dent in their efforts long-term. Damage control is the name of that game, as hero hopefuls learn in school, and it's never enough. The myriad of vigilantes active in those areas are further proof of hero society's failure. Ever since he hit the pro scene, Dynamite has been obsessed with changing the system from within. And yeah, Izuku was certainly aware Katsuki had been working insane hours lately, trying to solve a decades-old problem on and off the clock. Harder and harder to reach, to the point Izuku had quietly feared he would drop off the radar entirely one day. Hell, Izuku is pretty sure not even his squad of friends have seen the inside of Katsuki's apartment this year, and those are some of the most stubborn people he's ever met. They have to be, to strong-arm their way into Katsuki's heart like that. None of that could have prepared him for the sight he stumbles upon once he reaches his destination, one for all humming under his skin from his mad dash across Musutafu's rooftops. Even here, Christmas lights. Most windows have movement in them, that orange glow of life from within. That holiday cheer reflects off the blood spilled in drops, then splatters, pooling around bodies Izuku knows to be dead before he confirms it, careful not to leave a trace of his presence behind. They carry the lotus, the sign of the biggest crime syndicate, on their backs. The injuries on them are uncomfortably familiar. Not the charred burns left behind by explosions, but long, jagged stab wounds. A name floats in the back of Izuku's head. A very famous, very not good name, if his hunch proves true. The tracker indicates Katsuki's within a 30-foot radius from this spot. The feeble hope that Izuku's instincts will be wrong for once, vanishes once he steps further into the shadows, unsure where to look. Stay with me, Riot. I know it hurts. I know. I'll get you out of here. Just… The voice is low, forcibly steady, fraying at the edges. Katsuki. Izuku's feet carry him closer without a second thought. The light tread of his sneakers on asphalt, all the louder once Katsuki falls utterly silent. Into the dark, that thick, deadly silence, Izuku simply states, I'm here. A rush of breath, relief. A brief glimpse of crimson eyes, Katsuki leaning out of the gap between two buildings to visually confirm it's him. In all black clothes, hoodie-tugged over his hair, he blends into the night near flawlessly. Scarlet stains his arm up to his rolled-up sleeves, hand to elbow. That one glance is all it takes. Izuku closes the distance, more and more red revealed upon his approach. Red boots, red gears around muscled shoulders, red spikes of hair. Blood, 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 running down rock-hewn cracks on skin. Red eyes squinting hazily at Izuku. Red Riot, Musutafu's most wanted vigilante. And it's a mess. He's a mess. Katsuki's a mess, visibly shaking where he holds a bright orange scarf to Riot's gut. Izuku crouches down to take it from him and put proper pressure on the wound that must lie right underneath, soaked fabric squishing between his fingers. Got ambushed, mutters Katsuki, shushing the vague noises coming from the down man before riding him with a grunt of effort. Too many. Quirk gave out. Took the shot for me anyway. Fuck. Kacha, Don't. No names. No- There's no fucking time. Just- Please. I can't carry him by myself. Izuku has an inkling where Katsuki's headed with this, and oh, this is bad. Career-ending, Japan-wide scandal, levels of bad. Below. It's okay, cuts. Good, slurs Riot, the presence of another hero apparently forgotten as he clumsily pats at Katsky's thigh. Got no regrets. Kats, Kats, two minutes in and Izuka's mind swims with new information. The same about regrets, you stupid shit, I told you to stop talking. Yet despite the harsh words, all of Katsky's touches are gentle, like they're holding what's most precious to him. Too gentle to do what needs to be done, far too involved to save a life. This life. Izuku might not get how all the puzzle pieces fit together yet, but he gets Katsuki, and he gets why he had to make that call. Grasping Katsuki's wrist, Izuku squeezes it once, feels his pulse race against the tips of his fingers. Katsuki's eyes snap to him, glinting with unshed tears. I got him. Show me the way. There is a bond that is born between someone in need of saving and the hero who steps into their life in the nick of time. Two strangers, two pasts. Two futures waiting to unravel, collide in that split second that decides whether that life will continue or forever cease to exist. Izuku has felt that bond snap into place many, many times. Red Riot is no stranger in the classic sense, however. Yes, they have never spoken or even properly met, but Izuku knows of him. In the field, Riot always seems so monumental, a mountain of a man with a sharp-toothed, fearless smile on his lips regardless of how hopeless a situation he's taken head-on is. A vigilante who appears when the hero's strength is starting to wane, and makes sure to get as many civilians out of danger as humanly possible. Izuku would be lying if he said he wasn't genuinely relieved by Riot joining their efforts on an active villain situation or three before. Most of Musutafu heroes have a great deal of respect for Red Riot, ongoing manhunt notwithstanding, The inevitable day the guy fails to disappear into thin air right after the fact is universally dreaded among them. Now, with Riot's sturdy form cracked and crumpled in his arms, and that bond devastatingly there, Izuku is haunted by that dread, stronger than ever. The analytical part of his brain is highly and anxiously aware the chances of two pro-heroes and a notorious vigilante covering any distance together without being seen or recognized by someone is vanishingly slim. Whoever sent those assassins is bound to notice their absence sooner rather than later. The Lotus Syndicate aside, people here are suspicious of movement from any of the fractions at odds in this part of town. Heroes, the police, vigilantes, villains, the fucking Yakuza. The twinkling Christmas decorations and holiday spirit, the meandering couples and families anticipating the snow predicted to fall tonight, all of it turns this into a logistical nightmare with no margin for error. Katsuki wouldn't be Katsuki if he didn't account for that, though. Blasting ahead with the most contained explosions he's capable of producing, he leads Izuku through a maze of tiny backstreets and shortcuts, no outsider, Izuku included, would ever assume even existed. About every 30 seconds, he grunts, check in, glancing over his shoulder. Izuku doesn't hold back on the truth, admits, passed out, as Riot's eyes have slipped shut a very short while ago. Cursing, Katsuki speeds up and Izuku keeps pace, rides bleeding side and the scarf tied tightly around it pressed closer to his chest. Shoto will have to forgive him for ruining the jacket he gifted him earlier in the day. Not that Izuku doubts, he won't understand for one second. Katsuki's apartment building practically blinks into existence, that's how little Izuku expects it to be where it is. He'd moved about two years ago without much fanfare, grumbling something about wanting more space to, quote, recover from people's bullshit. Shortly after squad induced and Katsuki-controlled chaos had made short work of all the boxes, he'd started resolutely refusing any visitors or social gatherings at his place. Izuku has only been here twice, and only to pick Katsuki up at the front door to ensure he takes an actual break to celebrate his own birthday. Unlike those times, they now enter through the back, Katsuki's keys getting him past emergency exits and security locks. They brush past smatterings of Christmas decorations on the walls and doors, ephemeral as ghosts. Katsuki shoves Izuku into a specific corner of the elevator once it arrives, holding him there with a hand on his bicep while the other slams the button for the penthouse, wiping the blood off it immediately after. Cameras is all he gives Izuku by way of explanation, and Izuku's gaze is drawn to the CCTV installed right above his head. And he keeps it there when Katsuki steps closer, pulled to Riot's side by invisible and unknowable strings. Right? Come on, wake up. You can't sleep yet, whispers Katsuki. The corners of Izuku's eyes, burning from the edge of begging, never meant for his ears to catch. Katsuki's hands come up to Riot's cheek, tapping tan skin gone ashen with blood loss. Red. Red. Mmm. Life returns to the body cradled against Izuku's, shifting weakly. Try not to move too much, the hero in him automatically cautions. You got shot. You're safe now, Red Riot. Blarily, Riot blinks up at Izuku and wrinkles his nose. Not Riot. Voice rough and breath labored. yet he fights to finish. Not at home. Like correcting Izuku on that is currently the most important thing. Home, 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 echoes in Izuku's head. Katsuki's grip on Izuku tightens in a bid to let him handle this. Just for today, yeah? Just until you're not dying on me anymore. Riot's frown deepens, clumsily pushing against Izuku to get closer to Katsuki. But gave you my name... Trust you, Katz, remember? The unspoken devastation that brings to Katsky's eyes is hard to stomach. I... The doors to the elevators whoosh open, and the moment is broken. A tiny distraction from the tears finally spilling over. Fuck. Okay, okay. Katsky sniffs, rubs the back of his wrist across his face, smearing old blood over the bridge of his nose. We gotta move. We gotta... Yeah. Katz, that protest, faint as it already is... Cuts out with a groan of pain as Izuku hoists Riot into a more secure position to walk. I got you, he tells him, repeats, I got him, Kachan, nudging a hesitating Katsuki along. Focus on getting us inside. They drip a line of blood down the hallway carpet, over the threshold of the only door at the end and the genkan beyond, too. It opens into the decently sized living room, Izuku remembers from the move. Wooden flooring, big windows, open plan with a large kitchen and dining area on the left. Any other day, Izuku would be craning his neck to glimpse as much of Katsuki's apartment as possible before he's kicked back out. All that matters now is that there's a couch big enough to lay Riot down flat, if Izuku gets rid of the uncharacteristically gaudy red pillows on it first. Behind him, he hears Katsuki triple-lock the door, then blast across the space and into the door on the right, from which he emerges with a huge first-aid kit and tons of towels. Bathroom, then. Izuku finishes tearing off the jacket off his own shoulders before motioning for the supplies. Keep him awake. Any idea if the bullet went through? Crashing to his knees at Riot's side, Katsuki nods. Felt an exit wound earlier, yeah. Hands working at the makeshift tourniquet around Riot's stomach. The scarf has lost its original color, long ago. Izuku wipes away the fresh blood it reveals, as best as he can to see what they're working with. One glance, and he carefully ventures, hospital? Because he must. They're both medically trained to a certain degree, but this? No. That comes from Riot himself, alarmed, at long last taking actual note of Izuku. No, stop, don't... Katsuki's hand takes Riot's, interlacing their fingers with an ease that spells a tender history. Just us, he confirms, a steel core of protectiveness to it, and it's dizzying how fast Riot settles down from that alone. All the times Izuku saw him jump into battle, the times Riot got away bloody and subtly limping, just us. Since when? How long have they been fighting with their backs against the wall, and the rest of the world, none the wiser? Biting the inside of his lip. All right. Izuku pats at his own cheeks to empty his mind of those questions, the concerns threatening to make him sick. Hands thoroughly coated in disinfectant, he picks up bandages and multiple rolls of gauze. Brace yourself, right? Dynamite, let's get to work. For a while, Izuku keeps his head down and just functions for a while, his gaze is entirely focused on what his hands are doing, and all he speaks are calm observations and the odd question Katsuki answers just as calmly. They've always been a fantastic team, trouble passed or not. In the end, this is a high-pressure situation like any other. It can be plotted through and broken down into individual tasks to complete, risks to account for, worst-case scenarios, and the contingency plans to match. Katsuki called Izuku to help, to save in his stead. There is no failing this mission, and so Izuku will do his damnedest to win. They have Riot swallow enough painkillers to tranquilize a bull, before Izuku sews the exit wound on his back shut. And Katsuki takes care of the cracked skin and tears, revealing a rawness underneath. If Riot starts slipping, Katsuki forces him awake again. If Izuku needs supplies, Katsuki gets them. Dynamite is a born leader, taking charge and commanding the scene the very second he bursts onto it. Anywhere else, he's a lone wolf. He works alone, trains alone, lives alone, or so Izuku thought. But to him, this is just as recognizable a part of Bakugo Katsuki, this intense, unflinching sort of support, the brutal self-reflection required to recognize he's at his limit, unsuited to call the shots, and thus trust Izuku to tell him what to do instead. It's a fact that is sure to make Izuku cry later. And Katsuki is at his limit. It's clear from the tremor in his fingers how his expression crumbles when Riot asks him, deliriously, if he's mad at him. Never, Katsuki promises, kisses the broken knuckles he's carefully bandaging. Never, please believe me. But I gotta keep your name a secret, yeah? You gave it to me, and I'm gonna keep it safe. Because Izuku is still a hero, and a vigilante's anonymity is their lifeline, the very thing that ensures they can operate as such in the first place. If Red Riot's civilian name was common knowledge, he wouldn't be able to hold a normal job, have a roof over his head, or even buy basic necessities without risking a host of law enforcement descending upon him or his loved ones. It's a crucial line between self-righteousness and outright villainy in the eyes of the law. Concepts that are beyond a man who is hurting and seeking out normalcy from the one person who can grant it to him. Izuku gets up then, takes himself out of the equation mutters something about getting an extra blanket or some water, he honestly doesn't know which excuse he goes for. Katsuki's mouth, thank you, tells him it doesn't really matter anyway. It's then, while he's washing the blood off his hands over the kitchen sink, that Izuku finally imposes his thoughts. That he lets Katsuki's panic over the phone, the soft touches between them, that delicate kiss over splintered skin and gauze, all those puzzle pieces click into place. If he were in a better headspace, he'd immediately rummage in his recent memories for all the times Dynamite and Red Riot appeared in the same villain incidents, if Red Riot had covered Katsuki's back additional to the villains he came to save, or if Katsuki coincidentally kept the other heroes too busy to chase after the vigilante. The only thing that immediately comes to mind is Dynamite's very public push for the government to create a legal path for vigilantes to rehabilitate themselves and become heroes, and the controversy that kicked off for months on end. It had cost him the top ten back then. As things stand, Izuku leans against the kitchen counter, and aches to call his husband. He won't. Of course he won't, Katsuki's barely letting him see all this, and only because it was either that or loses his partner, fuck. Izuku does cry then. For all the times he's heard their ex-classmates tease Katsuki for being Musutafu's most unattainable bachelor, or the Bakugos mentioned to their son that he should bring someone home for Christmas too. Katsuki had rolled his eyes, brushed the comments off with the usual biting one-liners and threats, but it must have hurt. It must have hurt to have to hide the person he loves enough to put his career, that lifelong dream of becoming Japan's number one, on the line. Brushing the tears off his cheeks, Izuku whispers, fuck this, and pulls up his phone. There are a myriad of missed calls from his mother, the bakugos, a singular text from Shoto because he gets it. He would know it's serious from the look Izuku threw him before he took off. Izuku doesn't call his husband, no, but he texts him back. A screenshot of a WhatsApp conversation. The title is show with a white heart and a red heart. Shoto writes at 6.30pm. Stay safe. Izuku answers around 10pm. Safe and alive, at K's right now. Can't say more, but we won't be coming home tonight, frowning face. Sorry, baby. Shoto answers immediately. Anything I can do? And Izuku texts back. Please keep everyone away from here. I'll get Kate to call later so auntie doesn't go berserk mama lying on things, but it's bad. It's really, really bad, show. Shoto answers. Fuck. Good luck. I love you. And Izuko answers with a red heart. Love you more. That done, Izuko hovers over a multitude of contacts. Recovery girl for no questions asked medical advice. Aizawa to handle the dead bodies left behind as discreetly as only a retired underground hero can. All might, because he must know where the hell to go from here, right? After all, it was him who bailed Izuku out of his own bout of vigilantism a decade ago and… But Katsuki was there for all of that. He spearheaded 1A's efforts to get him back. He has those same people in his corner and more. Best Genist, Miruko, Hawks, Endeavor. Hell, the upcoming hero generation adores him for his no-fucks-given attitude. And the public has learned to appreciate a pro bold enough to go against the grain. Katsuki has people's favor on his side. His presence has weight in Musutafu and still he never breathed the word of a secret to anyone. Izuku glances over where Katsuki is talking to Riot in hushed tones, brushing his signature red spikes back and leaning into the shaky hand that cups his cheek in turn, and the knot of conflict within him untangles. No, this decision isn't anyone but theirs to make. Sniffling, Izuku nods to himself, takes a deep breath. He gets back into motion, hunts down some easily digestible crackers and three glasses from the cupboards, before he fills a pitcher with room-temperature water. On his way back, he stomps his steps and watches Katsky pull away, eyes wet and red-rimmed. Thanks. Katsky mumbles out loud this time, taking the food and drink from him. Getting any of it into Riot will be a nightmare. It's a miracle the guy is clinging to consciousness as it is, or merely the result of that infamous tenacity of his, no divine intervention needed. Chest aching, Izuku gives both of them a smile, that hopefully gets some of what's in his heart across. A measure of comfort, or the notion that, whatever happens next, he will fight for Riot's future as hard as he will for Katsuki's own. Then he gets to his knees, and devotes himself anew to picking up the pieces, one by one. Chapter 2. Of a Whole. Content warning for dissociation, emotional breakdowns, mentions of drinking and alcohol. Kachan. Katsuki has his head in his hands, rubbing the meat of his palms into his eye sockets, fingers clawed in his hair. The blood on them has dried to the point of flaking off, fluttering to the bathroom tiles in crimson bits. Kachan. The motion stops, enough of Katsuki's face bared, that Izuku can see the corners of his mouth twitch downward. Fuck do you want, Deku? Muttered without heat, like an ingrained reflex. Then Katsuki drops his hands between his knees, blinks a few times, looks up at him. Sighs out, sorry. Slumping further into himself, where he's perched on the closed lid of the toilet. What is it? We did what we could. Izuko's tone is criminally soft, definitely something that should have Katsuki bristling and snapping. All he does is stare, scarily blank. Wright's gonna stay asleep for a while still. More blinking. A mild frown. So? The genuine confusion in it proves Katsuki's not being difficult on purpose, likely to shaken up to process much so it's your turn you're gonna take a shower eat something and then get some sleep too sound good shut up who are you my mom Elise least katsuki's registering where izuku dragged him to eyes flicking over the black tiles and orange towels the mirrors over both sinks and down to the shoes they're still wearing tracking dirt over the bath mat in the shape of a cartoon shark of course it's that final detail that makes him actually frown izuku rolls his eyes he can't help it i'll throw it in the laundry later Take this off, please. A tug to Katsuki's hoodie. Katsuki bats his hands away. Fucking deco, Mumbled under his breath, as he does as requested. Dark fabric coming off and... The clinking of metal against metal. Unexpected in the quiet. Izuku's eyes are drawn to Katsuki's naked chest, and the necklace dangling there, coming to rest over his heart. Black, sturdy leather. Two gold rings. Izuku's breath gets stuck in his lungs. Oh, Katsuki, are those... Katsuki's expression turns downright disturbed. The hell you calling me Katsuki for- Ah. Dead silence follows, in which Izuku struggles not to burst into tears again, and Katsuki seems utterly lost on what to say. Yeah, they're- It's not official, cause- Well. A small shrug that is helpless in a way. Katsuki takes the rings- Wedding bands. They're wedding bands. In hand. And the look in his eyes turns tender, loving. Izuku gives up on not crying- but he asked me a few months ago, and I say yes. Congratulations. Izuku sobs out and tackles him in a hug, when Katsuki returns, if reluctantly, patting his back awkwardly. I'm so sorry I wasn't there. You were my best man and, oh no, you even caught the flowers. A brittle laugh cracks out of Katsuki at that. Fuck yeah, I did. Riot got a kick out of them, believe me. Okay, that's it. Izuku pulls away to level Katsuki with his most determined look. Wright has to pull through now, I have a brother-in-law to give a shovel talk to. The comment is out there before he can think it through. Too soon. But it has Katsuki's lip pulling into a sharp smirk. Of course will pull through. Sounding valiantly badass. Almost like himself. Almost right. Red's a fucking beast. Those lotus bastards are gonna have to try harder to take us down. Izuku grins back, wiping at his eyes at the same time. Damn right. Gods, I can't believe this is how I found out you're married. There better be photos. There are. Katsuki's voice is deadpan, the implication that Izuku won't get to see them a challenge more than anything. The levity cannot outlast the situation they're in, their expressions sober in the same moment, simply looking at each other for a bit. Riot will pull through. Izuku repeats, calm and steady like that alone will turn this foolish hope into something true, something real. Katsuki inhales deeply and nods. Yeah gaze cutting away as he hooks a finger to the necklace and pulls it off to set it aside, a practice gesture. The domesticity of it tugs at Izuku's heartstrings. He pulls Katsuki into a second, far shorter hug. Shower, food, sleep. Engagement photos, maybe? Katsuki groans. Ugh, fuck you, maybe. Thanks, Kachan. If nothing else, the sight of those rings has brought light and focus back to Katsuki's eyes. Izuku squeezes his shoulder and leaves him to it, grabbing the bloodied hoodie and the bath mat on his way out. In the living room, a pile of equally stained towels and blankets awaits his return. They'd relocated Riot to the master bedroom to recover as comfortably as possible. His absence is marked by a splattered red worthy of an impressionist painting. Yeah, the couch is definitely a lost cause. First things first, though, Izuku tosses the laundry on the pile and marches straight to the kitchen. Grabbing a pot, he fills it about halfway with water and places it on the stove. Next, he throws in the instant dashi powder he spotted earlier and roots in the fridge for bingo, miso paste, silk tofu, and spring onions, placed on the counter for later. It's not surprising Katsuki's kitchen is state-of-the-art and stocked to the brim with fresh food, although the sheer amounts of meat in the freezer very much are. It brings a tiny smile to Izuku's lips, how Riot's existence in Katsuki's life can be traced all over their shared space. Without either of them around to fuss over, his attention is free to wander and idly latch on to those details. Like the row of pots on the windowsill, containing herbs of all kinds and sizes, next to a post-it with Katsky's distinct scroll on it. No, water. No touching. Kill them again, and I'll kill you twice, bitch. A smaller post-it underneath it, featuring a bunch of hearts scribbled in black pen. Leaving the broth to boil, Izuku bunches the dirty laundry in his arms and pads down the hallway to the bedrooms, a quick glimpse inside ensuring the riot-sized lump wrapped in crimson riot-branded covers hasn't moved. That's also not a surprise. The red riot alias isn't exactly subtle. By the time Izuku gets the washing machine to cooperate and snatches up a clean change of clothes while he's at it, Katsuki's ripping the bathroom door open to vent a cloud of steam, scowl in place. Oi, shiri ner- Izuku expertly counters the yelling by throwing bundled-up pajamas at Katsuki's head. Katsuki snatches them out of the air, huffs, and slams the door shut again, shouting, And don't burn my damn kitchen down! Loud enough, Izuku will hear it. Pure habit has him shouting back, Yes, Dad! Unintelligible grumbling. Izuku shakes his head with some fondness. Returning to the stove, he admittedly left on and unattended. A bare-chested and wet-haired Katsuki joins him minutes later. Otherwise dressed and critically squinting, as Izuku pushes unevenly cut chunks of tofu into the near-finished miso soup. Mmm, not bad. Izuku yawns out, I do try, as he stirs. The flexing clock on the wall, no, really, a clock flexing its big plastic biceps because that is apparently something that needed to exist, indicates it's past midnight. It's no KFC party barrel, but oh well, next time. Katsuki's quiet for a bit, moving around Izuku to grab them bowls and chopsticks and, rather pointedly, an unlabeled bottle of creamy, yellowish liquid from the fridge. Oh man, self-made eggnog, Masaru's favorite. No, not next time, at fucking New Year's or something, says Katsuki grimly. Or whenever riots out of the woods, I guess. Stomach wound's gonna suck for a while. It doesn't take the faded scars from that war a lifetime ago for Izuku to know Katsuki speaks from experience purposefully keeping his eyes on their food while serving it. He suggests casually, it's okay if you want to stay with him for longer than that, Kachan. Back when Sho got hospitalized, it took me out for a full month, remember? It's rough. I can cover for you at home. Like, Auntie will probably go crazy without a target to rip apart for hurting her baby. Ain't a baby, Katsuki hisses petulantly. But it's nothing Sho and I can't handle. Speaking of, they're all probably waiting up. Think you're up for a call to your folks? The exhaustion lurking in Katsuki's every move as he accepts his food says no. The defeated sigh he exhales says he'll do it anyway. The hell do I tell him? Wasn't even me who got fucked up. Debatable and dependent on the definition of fucked up, but Izuku knows better than to argue with him on that. Let's figure out a story while we eat. Honestly, man, if you manage to keep your partner of who knows how many years, five, six in a month, under wraps you can- Six? Six years- Slurping at his soup obnoxiously, Katsuki hums an absent. Hmm. Izuku can tell exactly how many he expected. Even one sounds like an eternity under those circumstances. Staring at him, slack-jawed. I, you, okay. He finishes weakly. Well, um, there you go. Six years, holy shit. That's why I wanted to be here, yeah? Do normal couple shit for once. Got tired of leaving Riot behind to spend Christmas alone. The fact that he admits to that simple wish so openly, voiced so threadbare yet devoid of the emotions he spent all night violently suppressing, has the power to permanently fracture Izuko's heart. That such a mundane thing was torn from their hands before they could even begin to learn its shape and weight. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, he can say to make that undone. It turns out they didn't need to work on a cover story at all. When Katsuki types up his mother's number and holds the phone to his ear, fingers pinching the bridge of his nose and knee bouncing with nerves. All it takes is a raspy, hag, Smee, dad there too, and a minute of listening to the reply for the dam to burst. Shaking, Katsuki's hand slides down to his mouth, eyes rapidly blinking. I think, I think I fucked everything up. Katsuki tells them before choking on a sob. Everything. I'm so fucking scared of losing him, mom. What the fuck do I do? Then, Baku Katsuki, the strongest man Izuku has ever known, shatters apart on the very same couch upon which they fought to save his husband's life mere hours prior. So. A noisy sip of eggnog in the dark. So. The shuffling of fabric, Izuku's knees cracking pitifully as he stretches his legs. Here we are, sitting around. Hmm. Outside, snow is falling. Thick, fluffy flakes of white that cling to the frame of floor-to-ceiling windows, stacking up into a nice, frosted layer upon the world. Kachan, we can't just sit around and drink, that's like, not healthy and stuff. Oh yeah? Fucking watch me, nerd. A worn sigh, Izuku sips from his own glass of eggnog, mostly full, half an hour in, and nods to himself. It's good, same recipe as last year? Mmm, got three more bottles saved up. Bakugo Katsuki, no. For a shitty parent, stickhead. Fucking sad, not brain dead. Izuku frowns into his drink, swirling it around a little. I'm sorry you're sad. And it's a testament to how long this night has been, that Katsuki simply looks over at him, eyes swollen and tired. So tired. My whole life went to shit in the span of a day, Deku. Less than that, actually. I know. I'm sorry about that, too. Leaning against the window at his back. Not your fault, mutters Katsuki, not even sparing delicately beautiful snowfall a glance. Not yours, either. There is no immediate reply and that, Izuku thinks, is not good. Katsuki's strangled sobs from before still echo in his ears, the auditory version of those blotchy afterimages left behind on the retinas after staring at bright lights for too long. He's been pushed far enough for a day, likely a whole year. The new one, not the one about to end. Priorities, aren't those what Izuku needs to keep in mind, has tried to keep in mind throughout the entirety of this nightmare? We should get some sleep. Another sip of eggnog. Don't think that's happening. Why? Because I keep seeing the man I love get shot, and it makes me want to scream. Oh. Well, if Katsuki's mentioning the elephant in the room himself, surely it's okay to ask, how did this even happen? How? What happened, Kachan? Katsuki sighs too deeply. Tonight, or in general. Could be talking years here. You gotta be more specific. Just everything. All of it. I get why you keep it a secret from the public. Simpler stuff than this gets misconstrued by the media all the time, or I can take an educated guess, at least. But why'd you— From you. Or the squad. Auntie and uncle. Everyone. Rubbing at his temple, Katsuki takes a long time to answer. When he does, that thousand-yard stare is back, like there's something on the far wall that he can see and Izuku can't. Red Riot is a hero's name. Did you know that? Huh? It's around 2 a.m. Izuku is not at his smoothest at 2 freaking a.m. Riot wanted to be a hero, like us. He's born the same year, too. If he'd applied to UA, he would've had a 50-50 chance at landing in 1A. Izuku tries to picture that for a moment. It makes him smile. Do you think you would've fit in? Our class was pretty, uh, chaotic. Hell yeah, are you kidding me? Red would make friends with a shitty-ass rock. Or, you know, me. Self-deprecation is not the best habit to have for a surface, But sarcasm is generally a good sign, so Izuku chuckles to indulge him on that. He does seem like the happy-go-lucky type. Has most heroes pretty charmed. He's the best, Katsuki says without a hint of exaggeration. Coming from him, it must be true. Izuku scoots a little closer, close enough their elbows brush. So why didn't he? Hmm? Go to UA. Become a hero. A bitter smirk pulls at Katsuki's lips, utterly joyless. Too expensive. His moms were already in debt. He didn't want to make it worse on his behalf. Grades were kind of meh, too. Big and small reasons like that. That's a shame. A real shame. It's a waste and a fucking disgrace, that's what it is. Katski's hand tightens around his glass. He takes a big gulp and sets it aside, none too gently. This entire system is so fucking broken. Rotten to the core. It's basic common sense that good people should be heroes if they want to be. Yeah. Money or grades, they shouldn't matter. A kind heart and an unbreakable will should. And if good fucking people aren't allowed to go out there and help, then the least the shitty fucking hero society should accomplish, the very bottom line of this entire endeavor, is to protect people in their stead. Wincing at the volume, Izuku recalls Katsuki making similar points in front of media representatives early in his career. The first and only press conference he ever willingly gave, as catastrophic as it went. Someone in his life got hurt, right? Katsuki's it rant sputters and dies just like that, all that pent-up anger and frustration dissipating. Fickle as early morning mist. Yeah. Remember that villain attack on main station? A few weeks before we graduated, fucking PLF and Lotus team-up bullshit. Izuku nods. To this day, it's one of the messiest incidents he's witnessed firsthand. His mom's got cut up in that. They made it out, they survived. But it really fucked them up. Fucked red up, bad. Made him angry as hell, and he's a wholesome marshmallow kind of guy, 95% of the time, so that's fuck too. And then he... Unexpectedly, Katsuki smiles. A small smile, a shadow of the rare times he full-on grins, all toothy and genuinely happy. But it's there, and it's proud. Yep, got back up and went out there to help anyway. Fuck the heroes, fuck not having the license. Met him a year later, looking for an informant to start cracking Lotus wide open. And Izuku doesn't know, Riot. Saving his life doesn't change that. But that pride resonates within him, a visceral feeling of recognizing himself in the actions of another. Humming. Hmm, I noticed that about him. He muses out loud. That he goes straight to the civilians. He's not in it for a brawl or to let loose with his quirk. He genuinely wants to keep people safe. Told ya. The best. I'm trying to be sensitive about your situation, Kachan, but I'm legally and morally obligated to insist Show is the best. Sorry, not sorry. Katsuki barks out a laugh. Icy Hot is the pettiest bitch out there, and you know it. And he's an incredible hero. What's your point? A shove to his side has Isuko cracking up. Eggnog spills over his hand and he groans, putting the glass on the nearest floorboard to lick his palm and fingers clean. Ugh, stop. Disgusting. nuh Delicious. Katsuki rolls his eyes and looks away, out the window to the moon high above. Its silvery glow is the only light in the room, the resulting gloom somehow comforting, makes it easier to ignore the physical remnants of desperation and heartbreak, and all that. That's why I had to keep things quiet, when nobody can know he's mine, and I'm his. It fails to make sense to Izuku, yet in a way this is not about that, or him. Years it's been since he's heard Katsuki talk this much, possibly those full six years, and he tries to imagine having Shoto in his life and not being able to say anything, celebrate any milestones, ask any friends for advice or a shoulder to cry on after a fight or indulge in a good old bitch-fest over those mundane little habits that drive one insane for no discernible reason. He imagines having a crucial part of himself, his happiness, his future, being made invisible like that. No, this isn't about Izuku understanding all the details, the hows, and the whys. It's about a story finding a voice, and that voice getting heard when it matters most. Gaze molten with emotion, Katsuki continues telling his story, their story, and Izuku listens. We're heroes, Zuko. Every kid in Musatafu knows our names, our faces, our lives. Shit, I know what that moronic bird, Hawks, had for lunch last week because the paps keep stalking him and he's too full of himself to fly away. It's true. Izuku likes Hawks, but it's true. If it leaked that Ride and I belong together, <sighs> not even that, if people found out I'm collaborating with a vigilante, no matter how well-liked that vigilante is, they and their family would be outed in two seconds flat. The back of Katsuki's head knocks against triple plain glass, a dull thud, thud, thud. Riot does the exact same things heroes do, but he ain't one and that somehow justifies branding him a criminal. His moms are everything to him, and they're strong as fuck in their own right, but they're also vulnerable. Personal stuff aside, vigilantes don't have the access to the same resources we do, unless they organize it among themselves. No recovery girl to patch them up, no Izava crawling around that yellow eyesore of a sleeping bag and teaching him right from wrong, no All Might to bail him out when shit hits the fan anyway. The shaky breath Katsuki takes has Izuko bracing himself for the conclusion he's quietly come to as well, the horrible truth underlying all this. When a vigilante's life gets wrecked or they get killed in action, hero society doesn't give a shit. Nothing more than collateral damage in their eyes, and it ain't fair, it ain't right. My life would be so fucking empty without right in it, I- Sniffling, Katsuki grunts in annoyance over his own lack of composure, tugging up the ripped collar of the oversized shirt he's wearing to wipe his cheeks dry. Again, Izuku nudges his elbow and gives him a meaningful look, teary-eyed himself. Ugh, shut up already. Don't give me that it's okay to be in touch with your emotions, bullshit. I just cried my mom an ocean. Already went full contact sports on those bastards. I'm dehydrated. I'm done. Shit's exhausting. Izuku giggles. Ah, he can relate all too well to that. The change in topic is there, ready to be latched onto to dispel the heaviness of what-ifs. Auntie Mitsuki was nice about it, wasn't she? A growl sounds from Katsuki's throat, a little hoarse. Extremely. Dad had to be the tough one between us three. It's fucking weird, and I hated every second of it. Izuku's hand pats at Katsky's knee. There, there, as he lets that lie pass uncommented. I think it's good you told him. Brave. Made him complicit, is what I did. Mumbles Katsuki rather sullenly. Screwed you over, too, by dragging you into my mess. And Riot doesn't even know any of that yet. I'm so tired. There's no doubt about that last part, and all the rest. They're certainly going to need excellent PR management if any of this blows up in their faces. A bout of silence follows, uninterrupted by the flurry outside, or the faint snores coming from the other side of the apartment, resembling the distant revving of a chainsaw. Can I say something, Kachan? Katsuki exhales a soft, hmm. Can I stop you from saying it? "Mm, Not really, to be honest. It's kind of important. Great. Let's get it over with. Izuku shuffles away from the windows until he's sitting right in front of Katsuki. One of Katsuki's eyebrow rises. If you even think of suggesting we hold hands over this or whatever, I'm out. A snort. That's where you draw the line? Hand holding? Yep, right there, see? Line. Do not cross. Palms up, Izuku wiggles his fingers to emphasize his good and peaceful intentions. Not crossing it. But you gotta listen. I'm still here, ain't I? Hmm. you are. Ready? Okay, here goes. I don't regret answering that call. I don't regret finding out about your own riot, I don't regret getting dragged into your mess, none of it." Katsuke physically pulls away some, his legs drawn up to his chest, and eyes immediately flicking elsewhere. He stays, though. He stays. Even if this turns into a shitstorm beyond compare, and it ends up costing us both our careers or something, I wouldn't regret it. I'm glad, so fucking glad, you asked for help when you needed it. I don't know what that must have felt like, it's terrible the decision to come clean was forced on you and that Riot got hurt at all, much less that. But I do know what it's like to fight a lonely battle, and it sucks, big time. I'm extra glad neither of you will have to go through that anymore. Wasn't lonely, Katsuki says in the direction of his knees. Had Riot with me. Izuku can't stop a fond sigh from escaping. That stubborn idiot. Kachan, you love your family, you love your friends, you love Christmas, and you love your husband. Missing one of those things isn't a slight against the other, it's plain old human nature. And you know what else? We love you. Yes, before you bitch about that, I'm gonna speak for all parties involved, cause I know it to be true. We love you, and we want to help you if you'll let us. When Riot asked you to marry him, you said yes, that makes him part of the family, and in our house, we throw fucking hands to keep each other safe. A pause. Katsuki casts a pointed look around at his apartment. It's a figure of speech. Where are you getting all this energy to snark from? I thrive off of spite. Mm? Very aware. Thanks, Kachan. And? Internalize any of that? Or should I keep going? You explained my feelings to me in no uncertain terms, yeah. Despite the late hour and the bone-deep exhaustion following its heels, Izuku blushes. Ah, man. Sorry if that was patronizing or, like, too pushy? Why are you such a nerd, Deku? Ugh, I'm saying thank you, fucker. Oh, well, good. I mean, you're welcome, of course. Katsuki sparks his palm in Izuku's face, the corners of his mouth twitching upwards when Izuku doesn't even flinch. Tch, idiot. The tension has been drained, however. The lull that descends upon them, less overwhelming if still tinged with the night's events. For real, though, sleep? Izuku proposes once more, hope shining through. Rubbing at his eyes, Katsuki rumbles, we don't have a guest room, or we got one, but no point in buying furniture for it before, I guess. Should have an extra futon lying around, though. Izuku shrugs. Eh, it's cool. Back in school, I slept on Shosta Tamimat mat floor for like half of first year. That's tragic. That's really fucking tragic. I can't believe you awkward fox managed to actually get married. Ew. Ew. Please, you literally signed off on it. Oh hey, I'd be honored to return the favor, by the way. Be the best man at your wedding. If you feel like making it official someday and stuff. Again, 2am, not the smoothest. Hatsuki doesn't seem to mind, giving him an odd look. I… huh, I guess we could… hmm, wasn't a possibility before. I gotta check in with Red first. Be prepared to fistfight Kami and Mina over it, though. Or Cero. That tape-obsessed bastard can get real possessive. Izuku's answering grin is a bit crooked. Duly noted. Thoughts of a brighter future, as uncertain as it remains, are important groundwork for new dreams, or at the very least a good night's rest. Izuku gets up and pulls a pensive Katsuki to his feet, resolutely pushing him towards the master bedroom. Once Katsuki's gaze refocuses on the door left ajar and the man behind it, he picks up the slack, loosely jogging the last few steps like he can't get to right side fast enough. Watching him go, Izuku allows fresh air to reach behind the bars of his rib cage and exhale the worry and doubts locked away there since his phone rang about three lifetimes ago. Who knows, perhaps Christmas Day will grant him the wish to reintroduce himself to his best friend's husband, civilian names, and everything. Chapter 3. Like Gold. Epilogue. Content warning for depictions of panic attacks, near-death experiences, mentions of blood. The first time the idea occurs to Ejiro, he's on a stakeout with none other than Dynamite, the Bakugokatsuki, Katsuki, most explosive newcomer to the pro-hero scene shadowing an illegal lotus operation disguised as a cat cafe, of all things. With his combat boots on the table and a pair of black binoculars held up to his eyes, Dynamite blindly knocks the back of his hand against Ajiro's bicep and grunts out, Peanut. His palm is held out expectantly for a share of Ajiro's snack, thick-skinned and free from the heavy gloves of his hero costume. They have never shared food before. They've barely hung out like this at all both inexperienced at syndicate busting if wildly determined to get it done. Blinking his surprise, Ejiro looks at that hand, up at what's visible of Dynamite's profile, and back down before he noisily digs out a decent amount of peanut crackers for him. Here you go, man. Mmm, thanks. I wouldn't mind holding that hand, is what occurs to Ejiro there and then. A second later, the thought registers in full, and he sits up from his slumped position so suddenly he gets his own mouthful down the wrong pipe. It's the first time Dynamite saves his life, too, going full on heimlich manoeuvre on him over a few peanuts. Really, it was inevitable that Kirishima Ejiro would fall in love with this man. A year later, he and Bakugor are sitting side by side on the river bank, the stars above bright enough to mesmerize, but not so bright as to betray the specifics of their faces to any late night joggers or dog walkers or whoever else would be outside in the small hours of the morning. Technically, they took their usual precautions against that. Bunching his red hair in a bun and keeping his black-rimmed reading glasses on continues to be ridiculously effective, all things considered, but it never hurts to be extra cautious. In the water, a mosaic of pink and white petals confirms that spring is here to stay. Barely an inch separates the two of them. When the breeze blows, it ruffles Bakugo's hair broad shoulders tensing with a suppressed shiver despite the flipped-up lapples of his leather jacket. Being around him makes Ejiro feel brave, so brave he doesn't question the impulse to put his arm around Bakugo and tug him that crucial inch closer. Thanks for coming tonight, bro. Thought you might be busy with your friends for longer, it being your birthday and all. And it's everything, everything, that Bakugo doesn't pull away, that he leans into Ejiro's warmth and calmly states, who says I'm not with a friend right now, shitty hair, huh? Eijiro does not gasp. Bro. Maybe he does a little, judging by the quiet snort coming from Bakugo in response. Of fucking course you'd be surprised by that. You are aware I'm missing out on precious sleep for your oblivious ass right now? The words and the tone they're muttered with are polar opposites, as is wont to happen with Bakugo. Eijiro practically preens. That's how clear the fondness in it shines through. You're being so soft and nice to me today, Bakugo. Am not. Fuck you. So soft. Is that what old age does to people? Turn them into saps? I turned 21, you root bitch. What kind of old age are you talking about? Well, I still think you're very nice. But badass, you know? Like, manly. Not only cause of the explosions, but also cause... Riot. It's in times like these that Azir wishes you could just tell him. Put it out there, reveal his real name, even if to test how it would sound in that rough, rough voice. Instead, he covers the tiny sting in his heart with a smile full of pointy teeth. Mmm, yeah? Shut the fuck up. Ah, a Bakugo classic. Ejiro's smile grows, purposefully obnoxious as he leans further into Bakugo's personal space. Or you'll, what, hmm? Punch me? Insult my crocs again? A spark of challenge in starlit red eyes. That's all the warning Ejiro gets. Then Bakugo grabs the drawstrings of Ejiro's hoodie and pulls him into a kiss, their first kiss. The first of many, many to come. The fear never goes away, always there in some form or other. In the beginning, it's the thought of dynamite breaking their deal, information for protection and vice versa, and getting a zero thrown in jail after all. Or worse, his mom's for... harboring a criminal? Not a very rational thought, one he quickly grows ashamed of having it all, and he's glad to feel it fade and eventually blink out of existence with every meetup that goes exactly as promised. Then, it's the notion that Bakugo could find out, about his feelings for him, about those moments of weakness when the anger deep inside rekindles, at the glimpse of scars crisscrossing his mother's skin, the old wounds on his own shoulder that healed crookedly without healing quirks securing a smooth recovery. Eventually, inevitably, no matter how tight of a fist he squeezes around his heart, some of it will bleed through the cracks between his fingers. When it finally did, Katsuki kissed him under the stars. When the fury first hit, Katsuki got into a fighting stance and, with his most feral grin, told Ejiro to come, keep coming at him until that fire had burned itself out to embers. And when Ejiro slides over the sketch design of a dragon tattoo to inhabit the spaces between his scars, he's not scared per se, but apprehensive, shy. Dragons are strong, fearless, masters to the flames they breathe, monsters in the eyes of some, but that's alright, figures that not everyone will understand. All Katsuki does is motion for the paper and hold it up to Ejiro's arm, a soft smile dawning on his lips. It's gonna look sick, won't be able to be there and hold your hand, will you be okay? Embers that burst into a warmth of another kind in Ejiro's chest, like sunlight itself made a home over the ashes. Yeah, he says with confidence, even though he's pretty sure his phobia of needles will have his nerves fried by the time the session ends. Don't worry about me, Katsuki, nothing that can't be kissed better afterwards. Ajiro's wiggling eyebrows are met with a deadpan stare by Katsuki, broken on a laugh. You're so full of shit, Red. Whatever. Fine. It's habit, grown over two years of secrecy. Just habit. Yet when Katsuki sets the sketch down, Ajiro takes his hand and intertwines their fingers. It's just us here. A reminder and a request in one. Katsuki's brow furrows. Realization replaces confusion, that tension lost, and an inkling of guilt remaining. Ajiro, sorry. Ajiro smooths his thumb over Katsuki's knuckles. Soke. Okay. Kisses the back of his hand. Although ultimately inconsequential, it won't be the only time either of them slips up, even if it's their first. The sphere of discovery, as much as its source has shifted away from Katsuki and towards everyone else, it defines their time together more than Ajiro would like, The when, the where, the how, they need to plan it ahead of time and minimize risks wherever possible. So Katsuki can reach for his dream of number one, and Ejiro can keep dreaming his. Maybe someday he'll be able to call himself a hero too. Maybe then Kirishima Ejiro and Red Riot will be allowed to be the same person. For now, it works. They work, as long as they watch each other's backs, as long as they are careful, and that's all that matters. Until Ijiro is spending the day at Katsuki's, lazying on the couch with the TV on and essentially plant-sitting his collection of miniature cacti while the half healed cracks on his body continue to knit themselves together and dynamite goes on air. Until he sits there, eyes growing wide with horror as his partner of nearly three years scowls at a mass of reporters and voices thoughts aloud that they've only tossed around in the privacy of this tiny apartment and Ijiro's ever-shifting safe houses on the other side of town. Until Katsuki puts it all on the line, his career, his reputation, the rank in the top ten that made him tear up with fierce vindication and pride a mere week prior. All of it, for him, Red Riot, Kirishima Ijiro, and that fear slams into Ajiro with double the force. The fight that follows is unlike any other they've had before. Vicious. Ugly. From the second Katsuki gets back, Ajiro can tell he expects a storm to hit. There's defensiveness in the rigid line of his shoulders, the way he forcibly holds his head high, red eyes sharp. The press is the only thing Katsky hates about being a hero, the scrutiny, the judgment of every too rough word and action. Ejira is aware that conference must have left him raw, exposed. Ejira knows Katsky, And he also knows that press conferences have to be scheduled ahead of time, greenlit by his PR department and agency management at least a day in advance. That Katsuki kissed him good morning and returned his hug goodbye before a shift and didn't say a fucking word. Another secret to add to the pile. Now, Ajiro's heart won't stop racing. His palms are slick with sweat. Between the end of the live broadcast and Katsuki's arrival, he's been pacing, pacing, limping from wall to wall, driving himself insane with the what-ifs roaring in his head. Yeah, both of them expected a storm. Neither of them recognize it for the hurricane it is until they unleash it. All that tight control, the meetings in the shadows, and the stolen kisses, the reassurances that they're safe and happy like this, fighting back to back, together, always, is blown away by it. The illusion that they can keep this up forever, work towards that indistinct point in time where they wouldn't have to swallow their tongues at every turn, where Katsuki can visit Azero's moms without giving him a panic attack, and Azero will finally get invited to that Christmas hangout Katsuki loves so much, is gone. It's the goddamn truth, and everyone knows it. Katsuki explodes in the middle of it. They all know what's going on. How much ground we're losing each and every day. Something's gonna fucking give, eh? Are you insane? Ajiro yells back. He's burning alive. Stormwind's fanning embers to a wildfire. Like, have you lost your actual mind? You can't just- And for what? Your career is your life, Katsuki. I told you I'm not worth losing that. What kind of man would I even be if I let you- And I won't sit on my ass and wait until it's you who's dying out there. Katsuki's voice breaks halfway through, breath heaving in and out of him. Shock strikes Ejiro at his core, douses him in ice-cold water, freezes him to the bone. Got it? I won't. I can't… I… I can't take another close call like that. Not when I can't make sure you'll come home to me, when I can't keep you safe, fucking do anything. I… Katsuki claws at the center of his chest, over his heart, fingers crumpling his shirt, and so high-strung he's shaking. Ejiro moves. Stumbles to his side. Shh, baby, hey, you gotta breathe. Hands ghosting a barely there touch from Katsuki's shoulder down to his elbows. Breathe for me, Kats. I'm so sorry. I won't yell anymore. I'm sorry, it's okay. Shh, shh, shh. A tidal wave of relief crashes over him when the contact is granted. Katsuki leaning into him, clinging to Ajiro's shirt instead. Gasping. Can't lose you, eh? A wounded noise escaping him as Ajiro gathers him in his arms rocks them back and forth to hell with his aching body. You won't, you won't, I'll be more careful, won't break ever again, I promise. Katsuki hides in the crook of Ejiro's neck, shakes his head a little, rejects what Ejiro can't hope to keep up forever, but damn it, he can try. Love you, a strained whisper against the vulnerable space of Ejiro's throat, worth everything to me, Everything. Finally, Azero registers his own tears, stinging and hot, where they carve paths down his cheeks to drip into Katsuki's hair. You too, Katz. I love you so much. You deserve the world, everything you want. But please don't wreck yourself for me. Please. Katsuki's breath hitches, struggling to deepen the inhales and exhales. Azero strokes up and down his back, kneading at muscles still shivering with remnants of tension, and Katski presses closer, closer. I'm sorry, knew you were gonna be mad, I did it anyway. Not mad, as you were corrects him softly, sniffling. Just scared. Didn't mean to yell at you like that either. It's just you scared me, cats. Don't want them taking my shit out on you. Even closer, until the jagged edges fit together perfectly. Not your shit anymore. They can try coming for you, I'll fucking murder them. Mmm, smoking like a true hero, babe. It gunners him a punch to the side, fucker. Contradicted by the calloused palm that runs over the same spot right after, soothing. Strong arms wrap around Ejiro's waist then, just holding him, keeping him on his feet, coaxing Ejiro to lean on Katsuki instead. He lets him take some of his weight. The dull pain in his limbs is getting harder and harder to ignore. I want to fight for you, Ejiro. You shine so bright, someone like you shouldn't have to hide from the world like this. I, I want to be heroes together. It's what you're meant to be. A Zero's heart squeezes, more tears brimming at the trace of defeat in Katsky's voice that clashes against that desperate hope that binds them. We will, okay? Of course we will. We'll get our own agency and everything. I'm never giving up on that. But we gotta take things step by step, do it right. Make sure we got ground to stand on afterwards, both of us. And it's not just me out there, Katsky. A raspy sigh. I know, fuck, I know. It's okay, repeats Ejiro, nuzzles the crown of Katsuki's hair and plants a kiss there. I love you. Thank you for sticking up for me. Like, a press conference, huh? And you didn't punch a single reporter. I'm swooning over here. Wanted to do much worse shit to him than that, grumbles Katsuki. And then he huffs, pulls out of their embrace enough to tuck Ejiro's chin down gently. A split second of hesitation, of catching Ejiro's gaze and brushing his thumb over his still-bruised cheekbone, up to the tiny, faded scar on his right lid. Ejiro's eyes flutter shut before his lips are caught by Katsuki's. A kiss so tender it undoes the pain, the tears, the doubts they kept from each other, unwilling to acknowledge the storm sirens in the distance, howling, howling. A love so deep it hurts, it hurts, and it heals, fills those cracks with gold, until they're whole again. For years, Ajiro keeps his impossible promise. Once the Hero Commission has reverted Dynamite's ranking to the 12th spot, the media hounds his every step for a comment, a reaction, anything other than death glares and nitro laced smoke as he blasts off to get away from them. Only when the thread of that signature red hook of his crystallizes more and more into a possibility do they leave off him. The night the paparazzi finally break up their camp in front of Katsuki's apartment, they're bundled up in bed, Worthlessly soaking in each other's company. Eijiro outlines the old, starburst scar on Katsuki's bare shoulder with infinite care, seeing and feeling him truly relaxed for the first time in weeks, and thinks of coming home to him like this day after day. Eijiro hasn't even finished the question when Katsuki throws him his glasses and grabs for the laptop to start searching for a bigger place. The lease is signed under Katsuki's name to ensure Eijiro can return even if his identity is leaked. Still, Eijiro insists on keeping his day job at a security firm to pay his half of the rent no matter how adorable Katsuki's pout over missing out on some mornings together is. Eijiro's offer to cover breakfast on the weekends to make it up to him lasted a respectable month. Honestly, the fact that Katsuki let him anywhere near their fancy new kitchen at all counts as a miracle. For years, they matched their patrol schedules despite being in charge of totally different areas in Mosotafu. Sure, Katsuki starts a little earlier and Eijiro a little later, due to deals they made with their peers, other heroes and vigilantes respectively. The important thing is that, most nights, they come back while the other is still awake to fall asleep together. It's those little things, the blissful bursts of domesticity and simple comforts that tide them over the tough stuff. For every time, Katsuki lands himself in the hospital, and Eijiro is enabled to visit, call, or pick him up without raising suspicion. There is a sight of him curled up on the couch on his day off, napping in a patch of sunlight like a cat. Behind each anniversary that passes by without acknowledgment from their loved ones, well, Ajiro's mothers aside, who shower Katsuki with Kirishima brand adoration on the rare occasions they risk a meet up. There are days they spend somewhere far away from Usutafu. sleepy countryside towns, snow capped Shinto shrines in the woods, hike upon hike across a Japan's many mountains. Eijiro liked rural landscapes and being immersed in nature well enough before. Ever since he met Katsuki, they've become his safe haven. The places he gets to exist with the man he loves, and not worry about anything, think about anything but him, and how wonderful it is to share this brief glimpse in time and space that is life. On one such hike, with midsummer heat beating down on them, and a pair of rings burning a hole in Eijiro's pocket, the peak of Mount Fuji comes into view. Dusk casts the world below in shades of red and violet, each and every shadow made invisible by the sky's radiance. Ahead, Katsuki comes to a halt on the highest point of the trail. Ajiro can't see his face. From behind, Katsuki is a silhouette of dandelion fluff hair, strong shoulders, the proud line of his spine. Mother Earth couldn't come up with a sight more gorgeous than this, really. Oi, you coming, Eiji? Give me your shitty Polaroid, I wanna- a casual glance back, a blink, a double take, Azure will tease him about for the rest of their lives. Down on one knee, he grins with tears in his eyes, and their future in the shape of a tiny velvet box in his hands. If only Katsky wants it, too. If only he says, Yes, Katsky rasps out, repeats, Yes, or, uh, I do, whatever the fuck I gotta say here. Yes, fuck yes. Azure chokes up further, hard jumping with reckless joy. Yeah, for real? You. Wait, babe, shit, I haven't even asked yet. Uh, I prepared a speech, so... Bakugo Katsuki... Laughing. Katsuki's laughing. Holy fuck you, dork, shut up. A hand over a smile that's so big his eyes squint, and the dimples on his cheeks show. A speech? Fuck off, just, can I... A fluttering gesture to the few steps of distance between them, blatantly excited. The speech is truly kick-ass in its final form, or Ijiro thinks so at least even if every practice run ended with him crying over the sheer amounts of love he holds for Katsky, Oh well, he will have to say it some other day. Ejiro laughs, too, and opens his arms wide, ready to get explosion tackled to the ground by the love of his life. Engagement, marriage, legal terms that don't, can't, apply to them. Not yet, that hopeful voice sings within Ejiro. Later, Katsky rolls over to drape himself over him, chest to chest, heart over heart, Husband, he whispers, and pecks the corner of Ejiro's mouth, red eyes so soft, and Ajiro realizes none of it matters as long as Katsuki keeps looking at him like that. For years, Ajiro keeps his promise. For years, he pushes his quirk so he won't break, so he won't ever shatter Katsuki's heart as badly as he once did. And along comes their first Christmas as a married couple. Katsuki accompanies A-Zero to the beginning of his shift. One last patrol before Red Riot, too, gets to spent Christmas Day at home and in the arms of his husband. Baku Katsky, the dynamite, is his husband. Months it's been, and he still can't believe he got this lucky. For a moment, they walk hand in hand. For one little moment, Katsuki trusts the disguise that has served them for years, dressed in black, blonde hair concealed. "'I'll be back tonight,' Katsuki is saying." Don't care how fucking whiny Deku gets about it. I'll be here by midnight, ya. Yeah? Ajiro opens his mouth, to thank him, to bid him farewell just for a few hours, and they'll be together again. The glint of a knife. Pure instinct has Ajiro hardening, pushing Katsuki behind himself, metal sparking against his naked, quirked-up chest. All too suddenly, they are surrounded, the symbol of the lotus flashing at them from all directions, an echo of a lifetime ago when Ajiro failed to protect what's most important to him. When Ajiro hesitated... Never again, never again, never. That's what he swore to himself. Seriously, fuckers, you're doing this on Christmas Eve? Snarks Katsky, back pressed to A-Zero's, battle ready in an instant. Years of interfering with the Syndicate's operations. Years of protecting those the government gave up on long ago. Year after year, witnessing what Lotus is capable of. Yet Dynamite is a hero, and Red Riot a vigilante. One is bound by laws, the other isn't. Ajiro narrows his eyes, fingers sharpened to claws. Don't kill anyone. Katsuki replies, don't get caught, that feral grin in his voice. By the end of that night, Eijiro's promise lies scattered across blood-drenched asphalt. Katsuki's eyes have so much fear in them, lips moving with words Ajiro can barely make out past the ringing in his ears, the darkness blotting out more and more of his vision. Christmas lights reflect in that desperate gaze like stars like cherry blossom petals floating by peacefully. Ejiro would smile at the memories, if he could. He tries to speak, tries so, so hard to say, It's okay, Kats, because it was worth it. I'm good now, because he's so glad they tried, so lucky for the time they had. I got no regrets anymore, because falling in love with Bakugo Katsuki was the best thing that ever happened to Kirishima Ejiro. On his very first Christmas day with Katsky, Azir wakes up in their bed with a familiar weight next to him and muted agony pulsing through him. Wakes up and remembers the bang of a gun, pain, blood, Katsky, a flash of green, and squints up at the ceiling, trying to make sense of it all. His head lolls to the side where Katsky snoozes as he does most day off mornings, although not koala clinging to Azir yet. The back of his hand rests against Ejiro's pulse point, like he fell asleep counting the beats of his heart. Before Ejiro can properly take him in, the unusual pallor to his skin, how swollen and tender red his eyes seem. The knob of the door turns. Wood creaks quietly as it's opened, and a green-haired head pokes into the room. Oh oh, is what pops up in Ejiro's mind as well. Fuzzy-brained and out of it, but not enough so to not recognize Japan's number three pro-hero Deku. It kicks off a very Katsuki-like avalanche of shit, 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 fuck, in his thoughts. That and Katsuki's career, his mom's, everything they've worked so hard for and built for themselves, no. In agony or not, Ajira didn't become Usutafu's most wanted vigilante for nothing. His skin burns as his quirk ripples over it, body moving, pain, 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 until he's partially covering Katsuki without crushing him, sharp teeth bared in a display he hopes is menacing enough to make the third best hero in the nation think twice about attacking. His brother-in-law. What the hell? This is not how I zero-pictured his first impression with any member of Katsuki's family. Fuck. Instead, however, the guy waves his hand at him near frantically. Whoa, stop. Oh no, 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 no. Leaping across the room in a burst of emerald static to push A0 M- back into the covers, exceedingly gentle, and whisper shout, Stay down, idiot! Do you want to give Kachan a heart attack? You gotta rest or you rip your stitches. Give Kachan uh, huh Ah, so talking is not in the cards right now. Deku groans, right, yeah, sorry, lets him go and runs a hand through messy curls. Then he bows. Deku the hero bows to him, a little too far for a simple greeting. Gratitude. Red Riot, I'm Midori Izu- Ah, wait, you probably know about me already. Anyhow, call me Izuku. Or Deku, honestly. Your husband does it all the time anyway, and it's also my hero name. Uh, nice to meet you again. Thanks for saving Kachan's life. Ejiro stares. Is he dead after all? Like, is this the afterlife? It better not be, because A, he's in pain, so that kind of sucks. B, Deku, which means Ejiro will apparently spend eternity getting chased around by a hero with a thousand quirks in one, and see, Katsuki's here too, and he can't die yet. He has to become number one for the both of them. Hold on, did Deku just call Katsuki's husband? Huh? The other has the audacity to laugh. <laughs> it's loud, I know. Rubbing his neck rather sheepishly. First things first, I'm not here to arrest you. Just stay put and let me explain, okay? Surreal first impression or not, that is how Ejiro meets one of his best friends. Ejiro's knee bounces. His palms sweat. A. Licking his lips, he tastes iron, his teeth having done a number on them. Gods, has it always been this cramped and hot in here? Ejiro, I swear to fuck, you're making the whole damn car shake. Calm down already. Ah, damn it. Ejiro slides further down in the shotgun seat. The fabric of the fancy anthracite gray chinos Katsuki picked for him, crinkling with the movement. Oh no, the bakugos are fashion designers. They will see. I think the, um, Ejiro swallows, throat clicking since his mouth is paper dry. The coffee was a mistake, all three cups of it. Maybe. A deadpan glare from Katsuki. No shit, Rock for Brains, I warned you. But oh, of course the Great Red Riot knows better. Katsu has a pro hero title for a week, thinks he's above common fucking sense now. Be nice to me, I'm freaking out, okay? Another look, the teasing glint to its softening. I know. Katsuki takes one hand off the steering wheel, holds it out, palm up, for Eijiro to take unflinching when his fingers are immediately crushed Neijiro's too-hard grip. "'Baby, they're gonna love you, okay? "'Cause you're a delight to be around, and you've saved a bunch of lives, including mine, multiple times. "'And you're hot as hell, so. "'Ain't a single thing you can do to fuck up here, honestly. "'Got that?' "'But you said my fashion taste sucks,' pouts Neijiro, mostly joking. "'Mostly. "'That's why I took care of that for you. "'And I said it's very you, not that it sucks.' They're going to be able to tell oh, it's a sham, sniff out I'm a fraud with their fashionista noses, and banish me to the fashion shadow realm, I don't know. The only thing they're going to sniff out is how stinking cute you are, you wholesome little shit. Now shush, and help me with a takeaway. We're here. Oh no, that is the house he recognizes from dozens of pictures, most featuring that mildly confused expression Katsuki has on the very few selfies he's taken of himself. A zero stomach swoops, his pulse more caffeine than blood, judging by how fast it's going. Still, when Katsky drags him out of the car and thrusts three buckets of KFC into his arms, Asiro nods to himself, face grim with pure determination. Katsky's right, what can go wrong? They're already married, with or without that blessing. If Katsky's parents hate him, that'll make Christmas awkward, yeah, but anything is better than last year's, or the lonesome ones before that. It's gonna be fine, asiro has got this. I got this, he tells Katsuki, trying hard to keep it a statement and not make it a question. They're totally gonna approve of me. His husband catches his pleading look and rolls his eyes. I'll kick their asses if they don't. Kissing Azuro's cheek and fixing the fit of his cable-knit sweater one last time. You're perfect. Love you, hmm? Aziro melts, nerves included. You too, Kats. Love you so much. Ready? Hell yeah, let's go. Been fucking craving fried chicken for weeks, ugh. Katsuki slams the button of the doorbell, mercilessly ringing it over and over until Izuku's annoyed voice on the other side calls, I heard you the first thirty times, Kachan. Then open the fuck up, nerd. Yet that annoyance instantly bursts into excitement on Izuku's freckled face at the sight of Eijiro. Hey man, good to see you, come in. I'll take this right away, thanks for picking it up. Giving the food away, Eijiro manages a noise, vaguely resembling a greeting and slash or an acknowledgement, the glimpse of a familiar shade of blonde further inside, making his nerves return with a vengeance. Next to him, Katsuki sighs, running a soothing palm down Ajiro's back, before shoving him further inside, the traitor. Hag, Dad, come eat the sunshine already before he passes out on me. Deku, out of the way. Go suck face with candy cane over there or something. Merry Christmas to you too, Dick, grumbles Izuku under his breath. Indeed joining Shoto, who stayed out of the initial fray, smart man, to make some room for the bakugos in the genkan overly crowded with heroes. That first split second, all Ajiro can see are the details that are very katsuki about his parents, his mother's eyes, the kindness to his father's smile. But it's Mitsuki's slow, smug smirk, and Masaru's pleased hum that brings a toothy grin to Ajiro's lips. Finally, he bows, and the words he said quite a few times now tumble out once more. "'Hi!' My name is Bakugoi Jiro. I'm so honored to finally meet you. And that was the original ending to Renegades uh, during the holiday season of 2021-2022. But a few months later, I think around half a year later or something, I went to a concert by the French artist Woodkid. And I got really, really inspired um, by a song called Horizons into Battlegrounds. Um, to write the second epilogue, or I think I called it interlude, um, to the story. So here it is, the last surprising chapter for Renegades, Uh, kind of a true ending, if you will, Um, and it's Squad focused Chapter 4, Horizons and Battlegrounds, Interlude. Denki is very rarely, if ever, speechless, Seriously, his brain is so crowded with thoughts and ideas and things, every second of every moment, he simply cannot fathom not having anything to say for any length of time. Sitting across from Baku aka pro-hero Dynamite, aka one of his best friends and most badass humans to have ever walked this earth, on that particular Christmas day, however, Speechless doesn't even begin to cover it. On his left, Mina catches herself first. Judging by Hanta's blank eyed stare to Denki's right, he's a mental free-fall like Denki himself. You, you, okay, sorry, let me just, I need to get this straight, can you help me, Blasty? Yeah, rasps Kotsky, and fuck, he's a mess. Not physically, at least not from what Denki can immediately see, but his gaze is bloodshot with sleeplessness or grief, or both, and his cuticles are picked raw from pure stress, and that, that's Denki's thing. Being a walking nervous wreck, triggering full squad interventions when he's in over his head and in dire need of tough love and advice, Katsuki's usually. Getting the text from Izuku bright and early in the morning that Katsuki shouldn't be alone right now felt like a sledgehammer to the solar plexus. Once arrived, Izuku had just pulled them into a group hug, told them to hear Katsuki out, and left. Most likely to put a crisis team together, going by the uniquely Deku type of determination infused into every move. Leaning his elbows on his knees, Denki rubs his palms over his face in an effort to get his brain cells back in the game. This is going to be a long day. Mina starts, you know Riot, calmer now, in search of their baseline for the hard conversation to follow. Red Riot, vigilante, one of the most wanted men in Musatafu. Katsuki sniffs, nods once. Yes. You've worked with him for years, made a deal to take down Lotus together. The crime syndicate? Yeah, seven, seven years ago. Seven, Hanta echoes under his breath, like repetition will make that notion any less devastating. Seven fucking years. Katsuki glances at him, pinches his lips, drops his eyes to his own rough-palmed hands, and doesn't look back up. His entire beating radiates guilt, guilt, guilt. Denki wordlessly kicks at Hanta's heel, hearing him softly apologize right after. They're not used to this, to Katsuki being the fragile one among them. Minas goes forward, breaking the imperfect circle they'd formed on the ground to listen as Katsky spilled his guts to them. Every secret, every struggle previously invisible to them, every lie he told to cover his tracks, riots tracks, in Katsky's life. The reasons he's been shutting them out more and more and more. He's never meant for this to happen, he'd said. To push them away, to make them complicit, risk their careers like he's been risking his own for so long. Seven years of silence. Maybe it's lucky Denki's emotions are currently offline, or he'd surely be bawling by now. Closer, Mina runs her fingers over the shaved sides of Katsuki's undercut, coaxing him back to them with gentle strokes. Two, three. We're with you, babe. Let's keep going, hm? K, comes a whisper back. The scarlet of Katsuki's iris is bright, wet. Dinky's heart squeezes. Katsuki hasn't looked this young in ages. Crawling across the bit of distance between them, he plants himself right by Katsuki's side, wrapping his arms around his bicep and bonking his forehead on his shoulder. The version of cuddling Katsuki's most comfortable with, a discovery they made during the many hard nights after Kamino. Gradually, Katsuki relaxes into it. It feels like progress, like victory, albeit a very tiny one. You're together, romantically, Mina falters, and, um, married? mm since summer. Something pain glints in her eyes, there and gone, remembering, perhaps, her favorite line of teasing Katsky in their school years. That eventually, she'd find him the perfect partner, and in exchange, he'd make her his best man at the wedding, a three-piece suit and everything. Right. Congrats, Katsuki. The rings are so beautiful. Denki can see them, the complete set of two, hanging by Katsuki's neck. A line of gold encased in titanium black, worn openly. Just by their design, Denki can tell Riot knows Kotsky well. Red Riot, notorious vigilante, Katsky's husband. It'll take some time getting used to. Now on Katsuki's other side, Hanta motions for the rings with a shy, May I? Katsuki takes off the entire necklace and hands it over for Hanta to look his fill. So much trust and such a simple gesture. Denki hugs him tighter, thinking about everything he must have gone through to get to this point. My arm's gonna go numb. A predictable gripe, kept between them, lacking any bite. Like Denki is the one to comfort, ugh, why are you like this, bro? Don't care. Not letting go for the next, mmm, twelve hours or so. The responding huff is almost amused, almost, whatever. Utterly compliant with Denki's clinginess, Hanta's steady presence, Mina's soothing touch, up and down the inside of Katsuki's wrist, his arms motionless and limp in his lap. Izuku was right. Katsuki needs this. Needs them to ground him when everything, any aspect of his and Riot's future together, anything beyond the here and now, is in limbo. In that uncertainty, that stifling stillness, Denki finally finds words that feel right. Right is a good man. Right, Kachan? He makes you happy? Katsuki's lips wobble. He rubs at his eyes with his free hand, nods, then nods again, fresh tears dripping from the tips of his fingers. Yeah, yeah, he does. Every day. And honestly, that's all they need to know, no matter what is yet to come. First, there are rumors online. Forum posts tracking Dynamite's presence in Lotus territory. Talk of dead bodies left behind in the snow. Blurry snapshots from locals claiming to have seen him and pro Hero Deku carrying a large bleeding man down Musutafel backstreets whispers of that bleeding man being none other than red riot surrounded by two screens from katsuki's home office setup plus his personal laptop hanta stays on top of most of it how far it's spreading which hashtags are trending estimates when it'll hit mainstream media none of them doubts it will and soon by this point all they can do is brace for impact second are the calls Katsky's phone vibrates near constantly, plucked into the outlet by the living room windows to prevent its battery from draining. The display flashes with familiar name after familiar name, family, friends, other heroes, those who have heard via word of mouth or their own social media monitors. When Katsuki has to physically leave the room to not have a panic attack, Mina snatches the thing up and takes the next call, padding over to the largely empty guest room to handle it somewhere else. So far she hasn't returned. From what can be heard down the hallway, she's talking PR strategy with the Bakugos and, presumably, their army of top-notch lawyers. Denki's in the kitchen, stirring a huge pot of curry he cooked them for lunch, when the news helicopters inevitably show up. Katsuki's penthouse is secured with armored walls and triple-plane bulletproof glass. It does jack shit to protect them from the media when they insist on doing flybys so close the plates and cutlery shake in their respective cupboards and drawers. Cursing under his breath, Denki runs to hit the automatic blinds on all windows, suppressing the urge to flip off the cameras on the other side as a metal barrier draws up between them. Yeah, I'm here. That's what he wants to tell him, seething. We all are. Take a good fucking look, cause we ain't leaving anytime soon. When he turns around, Katsuki stands frozen in the doorframe of the master bedroom-turned-infirmary he burst out of, wide-eyed. Then he's moving, muttering, here we fucking go, as he grabs the remote to the huge flat-screen TV on the wall. It doesn't take a lot of channel flipping to hit national news. Yep, that certainly is live footage of Katsuki's building from above, subtitled in red and black. Breaking, a pro-hero dynamite harboring Musutafu's most wanted, Deku also suspected of... You're damn right I am, fuckers, hisses Katsuki, at long last sounding like himself again. Over his shoulder, he shouts... Pinky, get me Aizawa, now. On it, mate. I'm calling Deku, see how far he got, Denki tells Katsuki, receiving a tense nod in return. Phone ringing, he clamps it between his ear and his shoulder, jogging back to the kitchen to turn off the stove and set their food aside. The line clicks as it connects. Denki doesn't waste a single second on pleasantries. Vultures are here, you safe, dude? Yep, Show picked me up a minute ago, they paid us a visit here too. Izuku's voice drips with fake cheerfulness. Oh, someone's feeling absolutely murderous. We're on route to Commission HQ, emergency meeting. Pretty sure we can, mm, help change your minds on some things. Denki grins his relief, gives Katsuki a double thumbs up. <sighs> they won't even know what hit him. Who else do we got? Honestly, anyone you can think of. Our class, the rest of the top 20, Netsu and UA staff, take your pick. Kat's out of the bag. I didn't see the point in holding back anymore. Speaking of, Tenye's courting recovery girl over there. Can one of you let him in? Should be there in T-20, tops. Man, a pissed-off Deku is such a godsend. There's definitely a big old, charge-bold kiss of gratitude in his near future. Sorry, Shoto. Leave it to me, you're a rock star, Izu. They update each other on a few other details, before hanging up. Denki's thoughts are already elsewhere. Contrary to the anxious anticipation from before, Katsuki's apartment now resembles a Black Ops Command Center, impenetrable from the outside, busy as an anthill on the inside. Katsuki and Mina crowd around a phone on the dining table. Mina talking and taking notes, Katsuki pacing back and forth, throwing an abiding comment or two. Further in the back, Hantas got huge headphones on while furiously typing, switching tabs, typing some more. God's help, whichever fool is on the other side of that shitstorm. Cellophane can be freaking ruthless when he has someone to protect. Back to the basics. Denki ignores the periodic rumbling of chopper rotors above them, as he dishes up four bowls of curry, delivering them to his fellow heroes without disturbing their individual workflows. All of them give him their thanks in their own way, Hanta with a tiny upturn of lips, otherwise said in a deep frown. Mina via a quick side hug, Katsuki simply by pausing his discussion with Aizawa to take the first bite and hum his approval. Any other day, the sight of resident chef Dynamite enjoying his food would easily make Denki's day. In the present, however, he's far too distracted by someone else. A very tall, very red, very injured someone, blarily squinting at the controlled chaos from where he leans heavily against the bedroom door. Long hair in a messy bun and dressed in dynamite-brand sweats. Red Riot. Denki stops and stares dumbly for about a second, the last bowl of curry clutched to his chest. Nobody else has registered Riot's presence yet, not even Katsuki, Too wrapped up getting ahead of events as shit continues to hit the fan. Slowly, Riot's gaze moves to meet Denki's, staring back. There's an intensity to those crimson eyes that transcends the bone-deep exhaustion weighing on them, scars and tattoos peeking through the bandages that cling to every inch of his chest and waist, wrists, and hands. A man like a mountain built to withstand the eons. Wow, that's the guy Katsuki chose to share the rest of his life with, huh? Badass. Mouth yielding to a smile, Denki changes course to close the distance between them, and there, a smidge of uncertainty in Riot's expression. He shifts his weight like he's unsure if he should be drawing himself up to his full height, or slumping his shoulders further. It's not like Denki would have stopped either way. Waiting until he's in easy reach to stick his hand out to Riot, Curry held aloft. Great to see you up, man. Hungry? Scott extra meat in it. A very angry little bird told me you like it best that way. A few surprise blinks. Riot glances at the food, back up at Denki, taking a wobbly half-step towards him to accept it. Thanks, uh, charge bolt, right? Riot's voice is deep, raspy with sleep. A kind voice. And yeah, he'll fit into their squad family just fine. Denki offers him an arm for balance, smiling brighter. That's Denki to you, bro. Come on, we got lots to catch you up on. If Denki had any lingering doubts about Riot, they'd be obliterated by the expression Katsuki makes the moment he lays eyes on him. A spark lights within him, the severity of his features softening just so. An expression that, in over a decade of friendship, Denki has never witnessed on Katsuki's face before. Oh yeah, their blasties got it bad. Snorting, Denki pats the center of Riot's back. Alright, big guy, I'll let the hubby take it from here. Walking him the last steps until Katsuki has reached them, immediately taking some of Riot's weight off his feet and grumbling about him being out of bed at all. Still, he pauses to peck Riot on the corner of his mouth like it's second nature. Riot smiles a bit, humming a pleased note. Morning, cuts. It's very sweet and all, truly heartwarming stuff. To Denki, it's a shining opportunity to get payback for so many uncalled for comments. So, so many. Hey, uh, Kachan? Your man's got a dog visit in like 10 minutes, so let's keep it PG, yeah? Ha! The contrast between Katsuki's unamused glare and Riot's flustered mumble of "'We wouldn't. I mean,' has Dankley cackling. "'No way. Is Riot shy?' The noise draws a look from Hanta, quickly turning from curious to delighted, while Mina outright gasps a small, "'Oh!' Firmly in the spotlight, Riot suddenly inches himself behind Katsky, a fairly pointless effort, given Katsky's a good head shorter than him. "'Oh, um, hi everyone.' "'Yep, definitely shy.' Katsky huffs, crosses his arms, the full brunt of his sharp gaze leveled on the rest of the squad. Idiots, this is shitty hair, emphasized by the jut of his thumb over his shoulder. Shitty hair, my idiots. Horns, tape face, Pikachu you've already met. Now stop making him uncomfortable, assholes. We got shit to do. Uh, Hanta, actually? Follows the immediate correction, accompanied by a roll of eyes behind computer screens. To riot, Hanta gifts his most relaxed smile. Ah, working his chill guy magic. Great call. Merry Christmas, dude. Don't sweat the vigilante stuff. We're on your side. Asking Aizawa to hold for a minute, the last hero in the room bounces over. I'm Mina, motioning to give Riot a hug. Katsuki catches her by the shoulder, reminds her, injured, an eyebrow pointedly raised. She deflates a little. Aw, okay. Anyway, so nice to meet- Wait, wait, don't I know- Unexpectedly, it's her Riot seems most hesitant to meet. Hey, Mina, said quietly, eyes soft with emotion. It's been a while, huh? Mina goes a little pastel around the edges, eyes filling with tears. Oh. Eyebrows rising, Denki shoots Hanta a questioning look, getting a clueless, if worried, shrug in return. Kirishi? Then Katsuki's palm covers her mouth, gently, with his gaze shadowed by that same unspoken notion. Don't. Hey, it's okay. Wincing, Riot shuffles around Katsuki to lower his arm. The time for secrets is over, I think. Red meets red, a silent conversation passing between them before Katsuki wordlessly relents. Kissing his temple, Riot releases a slow breath, indicating a bow with a nod of his head. Name's Ejiro. Bakugo Ejiro. I'm sorry for all this, I really am. On a holiday, no less. A beat of silence. Then Denki screeches, Blasty! Latching onto Katsuki to ruffle his hair, expertly evading loudmouth complaints and crackling explosions. You gave him your family name, you old romantic You! what the- shut up, get off of me. Mina uses the commotion to get that hug with Ajiro after all, pink arms abundantly cautious as they wind around his waist, sniffling, I'm so glad you're safe, eh? Crying harder when Ajiro gives her shoulders a one arm squeeze, misty-eyed himself. Leaning his chin on his hand, Hanta Oh, aw, we got two bakubos to love now, it really is Christmas, his online war entirely forgotten. Until the phone on the dining room table rattles from the sputtering coughs on the other end of the line. The problem child got married? To Red Riot? Even Katsuki laughs, not the least bit sorry about the grief he's causing his old teacher long after graduation. It's last moment of levity they get for a while. What follows is a whirlwind of parallel, sometimes contradictory, developments. Katsuki makes it his mission to get as much curry into Zero as possible, before Recovery Girl's kiss will inevitably knock the men out. In between bites, Eijiro and Aizawa nail down the details on the safe house for Mother's Riot, of which there are two, Denki learns, joining them with a chair and a makeup bag in tow, to eliminate all traces of the worst night of Katsuki's life from his face, for the joint press conference with Izuku A little less than an hour. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. No pressure whatsoever. And seriously, Eijiro's quirk must be ancient war-related to an extent, because he's somehow conscious after recovery goes through with him by sheer power of will. The old lady tuts at him for trying to resist her quirk, patting the black ink lines of the dragon perching on his bicep and the extensive scarring underneath. Scars she offers to fix once his other wounds have fully healed, though Ejiro politely declines. Leaning into Katsuki's side for support and comfort, Katsuki can only put a hand on Ajiro's knee, holding still for the foundation Denki's beauty sponging on the bruise like shadows under his eyes. From the phone in their midst, Aizawa tells Ajiro, Rest up, kid. We'll take it from here. In that gruff, deadpan tone, all his former students have been hardwired to trust. Denki sees some of that seep into Ejiro as well, eyes drooping shut. Well, after he's vaguely pointed to all of his six-foot-five weightlifter physique and mouthed, kid, me, which Katsuki answered with an eye roll and a muttered, it's Aizawa, let him have it, he's fucking old, too low for the phone to pick up. In the end, the biggest challenge during the press conference isn't facing the public or sticking to carefully worded statements or anything like that. It's keeping Katsuki focused on what's right in front of him when his every thought seems stuck at the apartment and the man he had to leave behind there. Not alone, of course not. Since her little epiphany, Mina has been fiercely protective of Ajiro, as is Hanta and even Tenya, who talked to the guy all of a minute. There's no way anyone, or anything, is going to harm the vigilante in their ranks. Denki leans over to discreetly remind Katsuki of that when he gets that caged look in his eyes, the bouncing of his leg, obvious by the rhythmic clacking of dress shoe heel on a floor. So exhausted, he's looped back to that jittery anxiety he valiantly tries to hide once the lights flash and the cameras start rolling. Yet his voice doesn't waver, speaking of his and Red Riot's convictions, of the value a life has, any life. That heroism is more than blind rule following, a statement Deku nods along with. A bit stiffer, Dynamite nonetheless apologizes for his actions, breaking the law, causing the public distress, not for knowing Riot, not for fighting by his side, and never for saving his life. It's the only line he dashed out from his script, daring the lawyers to object. They did not. Clearly, working for the Bakugo family has taught them a thing or two about choosing their battles. There also is no mention of the real bond Dynamite and Red Riot share. Too vulnerable a truth to cast from the shadows it calls a home. Too big a decision to make, with two halves of a whole kept apart in their darkest hour. In the end, they're pros. They're trained to deliver bad news, handle the fallout swiftly and competently. And they're human, folding their larger-than-life personas into the limit of simple existence behind closed doors and tinted glass. Nerves thoroughly fried, Katsuki's finally allowed to pass out in the backseat of Shoto's car nodding off on Denki's shoulder in his flawless custom-tailored suit and styled hair and everything. Izuku, dressed about as fancy and similarly wrecked, carries him upstairs, grimly mumbling about déjà vu, before he too crawls up on a relatively blood-free corner of the couch to sleep off the past twenty-four hours. The Christmas holidays are spent almost exclusively holed up in that penthouse. Within the span of those few days, charges are raised and dropped against Dynamite and Deku, their hero ranks and titles first taken away, then returned on the back of massive public pressure, then straight up frozen until the case against Red Riot can be heard in court, set to start a week into the new year. Their social medias become battlegrounds, where those for and against the proposed Vigilante Act clash. Early on, Mina makes the executive decision to snatch away Katsky's phone again. Katsky doesn't even fight her on it. Well aware, one badly timed rant could cost them everything. As if determined to offset all that, While residents have shown overwhelming support for all three of them, and especially Riot, stories about hard-won battles and lives saved going viral every other hour with the hashtags to match, Hanta, in all his brilliance, has the idea to set up an official Red Riot Twitter account to give him his own voice in all this. Ajira ends up spending most of his time on there, still on the mend and unable to leave the apartment as per the court's orders. That is, the time he doesn't spend calling his moms. Or mindlessly binging holiday specials off the squad's favorite shows with them, taking breaks to raid the kitchen for the ever-so elusive snack door. Katsuki keeps hiding out of pure spite. Turns out, Ajiro is an excellent partner in crime, reliably sniffing out the current location while getting a fraction of the heat for it. Those puppy eyes of his, killer. No wonder Katsuki never stood a fucking chance. In short, an emotional roller coaster that, at its lowest point has Katsuki discovering levels of rage hitherto unknown to mankind, grinding his teeth to dust as politicians slander his husband in talk shows and gossip rags, and at its height introduces Ejiro to the joys of fan art and cosplay. He's been remarkably composed throughout this entire mess. It takes the blurry picture of a kid wearing a miniature version of his gear to break him, choking out an apology before he withdraws to the master bedroom to, by the sounds of it, cry his heart out in private. Those remaining share a sympathetic look among themselves. Yeah, they've all been there, and that's without the impossibly difficult road to hero-dom A-Giro's had. Call him out on it and you're dead, Katsuki tells them flatly, wordlessly motioning for Mina to give his phone back and doing a lot of serious face texting, until zero sneaks back to his side between movies. The timing of Denki's new habit to DM zero any and all Red Riot fan works he comes across is, of course, purely coincidental. That night... Denki and Katsuki have the graveyard shift, keeping themselves awake via a late dinner of instant ramen around the kitchen counter. The silence between them isn't oppressive, but soothing, the day's events allowed to settle akin to the specks of dust swirling in the air. Slurping the last of his noodles, Katsuki blinks in recognition, hums, asks, Wanna see something funny? All too familiar with the strange stuff Katsuki finds humor in, Denki does not hesitate to go, Hell yeah, with his mouthful. Reaching past Denki's elbow, Katsuki grabs what for all intents and purposes is a Red Riot plushie, previously propped against a neat tower of coffee mugs. Big head, short limbs, suspiciously similar in style to some of the first Dynamite merch to hit the market. Denki is granted a handful of seconds to take in the details, the thick black stitching, the buttons for eyes, the red spikes that are a little dented with age. Made this one for his birthday, what, four years ago? Couldn't have Minnie me being all lonely and shit. Katsuki explains, eyes so somber as he traces the uneven seam down the plushie's jaw with his thumb. Guess this'll get some competition soon, hm. By now, Denki is somewhat prepared for his best bro's mood swings, like, he's truly gained a black belt in Bakugo feelings this past week. He's not prepared to see a smile dawn on Katsuki's face, heartbreakingly relieved as he laughs at his own mishappened creation. Thank fucking god. It's about damn time. Later, much, much later, Denki will pinpoint that as the exact moment he knew they'll win this. The shrine is almost ethereal in the timid rays of daybreak, ancient wood creaking under the weight of the snow frosting its roof. Year after year, Denki and his squad of friends welcome the new year up on this hill, always in awe as sunlight begins to spill over the horizon. Year for year, they'd gotten used to Katsuki getting antsy a short while later, Blaming it on Blasty being Blasty or his long overdue bedtime. Never, what they had even suspected, it was because he was itching to call his partner and wish him a happy New Year, too. After the Lotus incident, New Year's was spent poring over legal documents and endless drafts of a law that wouldn't, couldn't, fix it all. A chance at a slightly more just system more than anything else, but a chance they've bet everything on and won, many months later. Now, after easily the most challenging time in all of their careers, they're back. The air is cold enough to mist in front of their mouths, Dinky huddling up with Mina and Hanta, sharing warmth, a convenient excuse for a group hug. Another one of those things he wasn't aware how much he missed, until he's got Hanta's bone-hard elbows digging into his stomach and Mina's curls tickling his jaw. Laughter and stories have mostly fallen silent as they wait for the sun to lighten the dark of night, a few steps ahead, Aziru leans on Katsuki, whispers something in his ear that has Katsuki grumbling and tucking his face into his scarf, cheeks dusted pink. Whatever it is, it has Aziru laughing, loud and unrestrained, that China's rooted in long isolation, completely gone around them. Hearing that laugh has Denki smiling as well, happier for the fact that Aziru is here, that he has nothing to fear anymore. That Katsky is with them instead of worrying himself sick over worst-case scenarios and what-ifs free to lose himself in Ajiro's expression. This time, when the sun comes up, the first thing it touches is their hands, tenderly interlinking, and the rings on their fingers, glinting black and gold. And that was the true ending to Renegades. Um, thank you so much for listening, to those who are clicking off, and happy holidays. I hope that 2024 is a kinder year than 2023. It's uh, been a bit rough, I think, these past few months. And yeah, to those who are sticking around, um, there's quite a lot to say about this fic, actually. It's interesting. Um, As I mentioned, I was writing this um, during the holidays in 2021. So I started it on December 23rd when I arrived at my parents' place. Um, And you have to know that I am Latina, so I come from Venezuela. Um, I live in Germany these days, but we have maintained uh, Venezuelan um, holiday customs. So Christmas is like a huge family affair. You cannot miss it uh, under the threat of death. And um, it's very much, you know, my entire family, aunts, uncles, parents, my brother, all my cousins. We're all sitting in one house um, for a few days. So it's socializing on hardcore mode, basically. And um, I'm an introvert. So uh, at the very latest, after like a day... Um, I am like ready to sit in a corner somewhere and just uh, read a book or write, for example. Um, So I remember on that 23rd of December, I was already exhausted (laughs) and I knew I had like four days of this left um and I was uh so we were staying at my aunt's place she back then she still had a big house she has sold it now but I was sharing the bedroom with my parents and I read this quote by Richard Sicken which is my favorite poet or like one of my favorite ones um and I just had this like burst of inspiration and I was like I want to write uh, I wanted to write this story And my parents were complaining because my laptop screen was, like, keeping them awake. So I had to, like, sneak up to, like, the empty living room um, that looked a little bit creepy because all the lights were off. Nobody was awake. It was, like, 1 or 2 a.m. And I started writing this story. And it's one of those stories that I actually live tweeted um, on uh, Twitter. So... I did write, I think, a few paragraphs just to, like, get a feel of, like, how I want the story to start and how I wanted it to feel like. And uh, then I, r- I just wrote sections um, whenever I had a minute of time uh, where my uh, family wasn't being the most. Um, so it's interesting to me that I managed to actually write NAU with quite a lot of, like, complexity and quite a lot of um, world building to it, in a sense or at least a lot of, like, detail to it, because usually I can't um, jump in and out of writing. I always have to, like, sit down and, like, focus, and nobody's allowed to, like, bother me or or, um, tear me out of my my work mind space, Um, or I just won't get to write anything. Um, But in this case, the inspiration was just so strong. I swear to God, I was, like, writing every single free minute I had, And I was, like, staying awake. I was, like, sleeping two or three hours a night because the only time I had to myself was in the middle of the night when nobody else was awake and in the early morning when nobody else was awake. Um, So, yeah, this is how this story um, came to be. And I do think that it has a lot of, like, my family dynamics in it, in a sense. Um, The way I wrote uh, Bakugo and uh, Mirorias, Dynamic in this is kind of very inspired by it Um, To whoever else is Latino and listening right now You know exactly what I mean It's like this like ride or die You know um, bond that you have Even with people who are quote unquote just your cousins Or something If you're like blood related in some way Or if like even if it's like a close friend of your cousin or something You are ride and die for this person (laughs) And that's how I kind of wrote Bakugo's family situation here Um, and his friends and family and stuff like that, how they reacted to, um, you know, basically catastrophe striking, right? Um, It was very much inspired by that. So I feel like that's, I was processing a lot of like my own feelings about family and holidays and how it's like, in this story, it's definitely something very positive. Um, In the past few years, I've definitely had Some struggles with my family, you know, not respecting boundaries and like being very, very, very involved. That's another Latino family thing um, that they always want to like, you know, be a part of everything and give you advice. And if you don't listen to their advice, then they're like offended. And so it's a bit of a complicated dynamic with it. But I do know that if anything were ever to happen, like all of them would be there for me. And I kind of wanted to capture that feeling. Um, in a story. Additional to the fact that I just really love scenarios where um, A, it's kind of highlighted how fiercely Bakugo loves. Um, I feel like he's such an intense person that like the way he would love would absolutely translate to that as well. And he would like do everything for the people he loves. And um, B, I also love scenarios where Bakugo is forced to ask for help. And I Um, This is interesting because this was my first time Writing Midoriya actually in a story Um, I had mentioned him before I had like you know Dealt with the whole uh, bullying situation And other stories before But this was the first time that I wanted to like Write Kiribaku out of his POV And I feel like He would Be the perfect person To just know exactly what this means To Bakugo To have to like reveal all of this soft, tender stuff, right, to save the man he loves um, and how much it would kill Bakugo to not being able to carry Kirishima by himself and not being able to, yeah, to honor their secret and the promises they made um, in favor of saving him. So there's a a lot of stuff in this story. It's one of my favorite ones, I think, that I've written just because... Writing a story from that strong an inspiration is always very, very fun. Um, Even though this has a lot of, like, timeline shenanigans and stuff. Like, they make their deal seven years ago, and then they get together six years ago. And then, you know, the whole chapter, um, the epilogue from Kirishima's POV is actually paced so that every scene is from one of a year of their relationship and stuff like that. So I was thinking... And like building that carefully kind of like what do i want to highlight what do which glimpses do i want to show to like cover this entire relationship but at the same time everything just really came naturally and that was so satisfying to to write um when i don't have to like second guess anything or when it just like kind of just like flows out my fingertips it's like a really cool feeling that's why this fic um i'm very fond of it to this day and yeah, I already said that like the the second epilogue or like the interlude, I guess I called it interlude because it was between like the timeline, um, between like the the second chapter and the and the epilogue. Um, that was also a surprise, and it was such a strong burst of inspiration there as well. I was at this like concert, and I was listening to Woodkid perform. Um, if you ever have a chance to uh, see him live, he's amazing very very gay we love to see it um his show is amazing uh visually as well and i found myself really paying attention to the lyrics and um horizons into battlegrounds especially is just such a bakugo song i was like so struck by it uh, and i came home from that concert and i was basically like holy shit <laughs> renegades is getting a second epilogue i don't care um yeah, so this this fic has been I don't know, just really fun um to to write. And also I do have a weakness for uh scenarios where Kirishima is not immediately a hero. I feel like that moment of doubt that he had, um, and just his his personality of like putting others before him and like doubting himself, um, I think definitely um lends itself well to imagining, okay, what if he hadn't had that burst of inspiration through Crimson Riot? What if he wouldn't have gone through with it, you know, and, like, taken it out of another, like, path in life? Um, In this story, it's more for his mother's, like, benefit, but I think there's a lot of reasons why Kirishima would choose not to become a hero, and that makes it just all the more special that he is a hero, in a way. I don't know. I really love Kirishima. Um, and yeah, I do have to say though, uh, that recording the story was really, really challenging. I did not expect, um, this to be this hard. As I'm looking at my recording software right now, I see that I'm at the 658, um, take in this one audio line. So every time I interrupt or like cut out a breath or like make a mistake, I have to start a new take right um and I've done that 658 times (laughs) to record these two hours it's insane um also there was a lot of a lot more like emotion involved obviously a lot of the other stories that I've recorded are all fluffy and like the emotions are you know not as intense as oh my god he almost died um and that was a very fun challenge to me um, especially because I'm not quite sure like how many more my hero fix I'm going to be recording. I've been really into Trigun lately, um as basically everyone who follows my Twitter has seen <laughs> because I cannot shut up about it. And um so my my writing brain has kind of moved on um to Trigun. That's something that I sometimes do. Kind of resent that, like, my writing brain is very monogamous. Like, uh, I have one brain rot and one hyperfixation, and that's what I can write about. And the moment my brain is like, okay, we're moving on, um, I have to, like, scramble to finish my current projects in some way, um, or they will just be abandoned. Um, and it sucks, but I did promise myself a long time ago that I won't write out of obligation. Writing for me is a very important hobby and, like, an emotional, you know, release situation. Um, and forcing myself to write something feels really uncomfortable. And I just don't want to do it. Um, so after three long years, it has happened with my hero. Um, it's been a long ride. Actually, the other day I was looking it up and I have written more than 300,000 words for this, uh, fandom and for Baku because all I've written is Kiribaku. So it has been a good run, but it also feels weird to kind of, like, leave it behind. I feel like that's why... I did feel like recording something, um, because this I can still do even when my writing brain is elsewhere, um, but yeah, so I'm not quite sure if I will get around to recording many more stories, I'm kind of tempted to record my current Trigon work in progress when it's finished, however that does feature a little bit of not safe for work content and I'm not quite sure. If I uh, want to record myself reading that aloud. Um, also, I'm currently sitting in my bedroom and my, uh, the doorway to my apartment uh, is fairly close. And I know from hearing my neighbors come in and out of the hallway that uh, it is not very soundproof. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure uh, how much I want to risk them being able to hear Um, but yeah we'll see I am kind of tempted just because um, I don't know Trigon is fun and I and I notice that recording and reading these stories aloud um, does help me understand my own work if that makes any sense Like, it's just a different medium and a different format to telling the story. And it's funny because I read out my own writing and suddenly I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, that's what I meant when I wrote this. I don't know. It's my memory is terrible. So um, if you expect me to, like, be able to quote my own work or remember what I wrote in which order and how, uh, don't, (laughs) because I forget everything all the time. Um, which is fun, because it means that I can read my own stories, um, after a month or two. And let's, let's say three months, just to give myself a little bit of credit. Um, and it kind of like, uh, basically forget, um, what exactly happens in which order, which is nice. So I can rediscover my own stories. And I think that's kind of the effect that, um, recording them also has. I'm, like, rediscovering the story as I go. And, I don't know, it feels fun. Um... I really like doing this. So I do think that I'm gonna continue. I just don't know uh, in which fandom. And yeah, where uh, my writing endeavors are gonna take me next cause sometimes I stick around in a fandom for like two months and I move on. And sometimes I stick around for three years and write 300,000 words and a thousand AUs and the brain rot is strong. So (laughs) let's see what happens with Trigun and Bashwood. So if that's your jam, uh, feel free to stop by my AO3 in like, let's say two months time. I should have two complete fics by that point up because I'm currently working on a college AU for a friend and I want to complete my current, uh, work in progress. Um, so there's going to be some new stuff to read there as well. And, um, yeah, so at the very end of this quite long episode, um, I just want to say thank you for listening to this point um thank you for reading my stories uh thank you for liking my my hero work it's been a real delight in this fandom and yeah i just hope that you know maybe our paths cross again in some other fandom that would be really cool so yeah a happy new year and see you soon maybe bye